people are going to be writing about us for the rest of our lives probably, and after we're dead. So I intend to either confuse the issue so much they never knew what was going on, or to try and keep shoving out bits and bits. So as whoever is bothered to be looking at it in the future, the people that really know will sort out, you know, they'll know what was going on a bit. There's a lot of books about the Beatles and a lot of theories. And I try not to read them, and whenever I do, the first thing is like, oh, that's wrong. Everywhere you go, trying to find out any little bit of dirt that they can write about you. Beatles is Beatles, that Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what people say. You can't live all your life by what they want. Another Kind of Mind, a different kind of Beatles podcast by Another Kind of Mind. Welcome to our mailbag episode in which we answer listener feedback from email and various social media. This is our second such episode. The first one was such a blast. That such a decided, blast. Was such a blast that we decided to do another one. As a reminder, unlike most ACOB episodes, mailbags are an opportunity for us to have more off-the-cuff conversations. We don't research these out the wazoo like we usually do. We're just talking here. We're just uh, some Beatle fans talking. Uh, as before, if we don't get to your question in this episode, we may do so in a future episode. So please keep listening. Yes, unfortunately, we could not respond to everyone here just because of time constraints. So if we didn't get to your question, it was not because we didn't like it. But we might so, catch you next time. Yeah. So we've got a nice, fun variety of topics on the show today. Some big, some small. Uh, <laughs> all are welcome. <laughs> some short, some tall. <laughs> some light, some heavy. <laughs> some overnight. <laughs> another quick reminder everyone in this episode is referred to as anonymous that's just a courtesy um in case you don't want your name read on air yeah because you never know you never know we just thought we would just blanket everyone in the safe blanket of anonymity yeah all right are we ready phoebe i'm ready i'm ready i'm ready let's all right let's do it let's go Anonymous asked, loved the Mozart and McCartney episode. When Valerie Ng started saying her favorite recent song was dot dot dot, I finished the sentence ahead of her with Dominic Fike's version of Kiss of Venus, <laughs> <laughs> which overwhelms me with joy. Phoebe said in a recent episode that she prefers McCartney's solo recordings over the Beatles, and at the time I scratched my head, but I've been diving in deeper thanks to archives from the Egg Pod the egg pod it's cute oh. <laughs> yeah thanks to archives from the egg pod and some excellent playlist suggestions and now i'm on board the paul boat with phoebe yay welcome aboard <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're expecting you <laughs> i've been playing selections from the fireman rushes album a lot while driving it's a wonderful surprise to find all these records later in life and listen to them with fresh ears only regret that I didn't come to them sooner. 
thanks for your advocacy. It's the big gift to me of 2022. More to come in 2023. Aww. Aww. I love that. That makes me so happy. Anonymous, I literally, I had a whole plan when Phoebe and I went to Paul's concert. I was like, they're going to be new fans here. I'm going to write, I'm going to make a playlist to pass out to people. <laughs> like a door-to-door Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, that, that didn't happen, though. But I am so delighted that you are enjoying Paul's solo career. It is the gift that keeps on giving, let me tell you. I'm still finding stuff. You should look up a robber's ball sometime actually oh you should li- you should you should do the whole players a playlist on youtube called uh what is it spectacular weirdness fantastic weirdness or, fantastic yeah, um, weirdness. I'd, or uh... yeah all right let me look it up this is so fun i love doing these episodes <laughs> youtube paul mccart making y'all listen to me google mccartney weirdness. chaotic weirdness superb weirdness superb weirdness there we go yes so youtube mccartney mixtape superb weirdness there is some bangers on there yeah late 70s stuff mm-hmm. rushes is definitely top tier paul album for me so i really hate going to the dentist i hate having dental work done <laughs> um i have no problem with doctors for some reason, somebody putting their hands in my mouth really just terrifies and disgusts me. So oh. I also have a very, very tight jaw. So it's very painful for me to have my mouth open for a prolonged amount of time. This is way too much information. Anyway, <laughs> so I had to have some dental work done. I think I know where this story is going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I listen to rushes. Usually I'd listen to like stand up comedy or something because it's, it's highly distracting. I'm just looking to be distracted. Right. Mm-hmm. On the Egg Pod episode, they talked about Linda's chemotherapy and her death. So I started to think of Rushes as something Paul had written to Linda to help her through her treatments. Mm -hmm. Which is how I got the idea to bring it to the dentist's office. Of course, not to compare dental work to chemotherapy. Obviously not the same. But, you know, listening to it in a situation where I don't have any control and I'm a little bit scared was a very interesting way to listen to Rushes. And I heard all kinds of things in the album that I'd never heard before. That's so cool. If you are ever having a panic attack or some kind of really bad drug trip or something, I would recommend Rushes. It really does have soothing properties. Nice. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Phoebe. What are your favorite McCartney albums, Daphne? Uh, Electric Arguments. Mm-hmm, for sure. I feel about Electric Ar- Arguments the way a lot of people feel about Ram. Mm-hmm. I love Ram as well, but I love Electric Arguments more. Uh, I am also a big McCartney 2 fan. Yeah. I like Venus and Mars a lot as well. Mm. His like 80s to 90s, two decades of his solo work. Um, I typically don't listen to those as albums. Those go on playlists for me. Mm, I see. Yeah. 
Oh, tw- Twin Freaks as well. Three of my tier one McCartney albums are from mm-hmm. the 90s. Rushes, Flame. Flaming Pie. Flaming Pie. And Standing Stone mm-hmm. are all from Ooh, the 90s. Standing Stone. Interesting. Uh, a top tier. I can't do a favorite album. Mm-hmm. I split them more or less in half. I um, lo- one, of, one of my favorite, favorite all-time McCartney tracks, including Beatles, is Mr. Bellamy. Obsessed. Obsessed. Well, Memory Almost Full is definitely top tier for me. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's my, it's like possibly battling for number one. It's like in top five for me. Yeah. I'm obsessed with Memory Almost Full and New. Everybody knows that. I think I'm pretty vocal about it. Those are two of my (laughs) absolute top, top tier. Yeah. I also have a reorganized McCartney too. I put it in a different order that I prefer. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely like an extended McCartney 2 person. Like it has to have all the extras for me. Yeah, I agree. McCartney 2 is not McCartney 2 without Check My Machine. um, Yes. Blue Sway, Sway. All You Horse Riders. Absolutely. Those Uh, are crucial. (laughs) No, but like every, I, I need people to listen to electric arguments. I need it. Yeah, I think people have Daphne, but I but I reiterate <laughs> that it is very good. I do recommend it as well. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it is all the all the Fireman albums are good, and all the McCartney albums are good. I like Strawberry Oceans as well. That one I am not as familiar with yeah strawberry oceans to me sounds more more like house music of early 90s and most people like rushes and not everybody's into strawberry oceans yeah yeah it's fair if you're not on ecstasy i can see (laughs) why i wouldn't necessarily grab you right away (laughs) uh anonymous asked i just listened to the new episode of your own personal beatles which is a good podcast generally but one of the hosts was explaining how his mind was blown by recently reading Doggett's You Never Give Me Your Money and learning that by the time Paul had submitted his requested revisions to The Long and Winding Road, it was too late. Would you mind recapping your debunk of this point? So our debunk... <laughs> to give you a very brief uh, summary of a very long debunking <laughs> effort... <laughs> Okay, Paul sends a detailed letter to Klein on April 14th. That is only 12 days after his copy of the album was received. As far as Paul knows, at this point, Let It Be isn't going out until April 24th at the earliest. And again, since Spectre did the whole album in 10 days, it's not unreasonable for Paul to think 10 days is plenty of time to fix one song. To his specifications that he's already sent, it's not like it's three pages, it's like four things. 10 days or more because it gets bumped to May 8th and the film isn't released until May 13th. And there's been no deadline for when all the changes had to be submitted. Once Paul has voiced his objection and sent a very clear, very reasonable list of things he wants changed, why didn't they just do that? It definitely wasn't too late. There's no argument even to be made that it was too late. I don't know because because Ringo talked to him and Paul said it was okay and so 
that doesn't that have anything to do with anything final approval that's but that's irrelevant that doesn't mean it's too late for him to change his mind that just means no backsies i mean that's the argument it's not that there's no time doc yeah, it's saying that's true there was no time but like bro there was time well there was definitely time again specter did the entire album in 10 days as far as paul knows there is still 10 days before the album goes out he's requesting three changes on one track he's requesting a day's worth of work at the most at most at most so that's just ludicrous it is possible that specter is no longer available and also i'm not sure how long it took in 1969 to like manufacture records and ship them so that they're ready to put on the shelves on your release dates so maybe maybe it would have caused a delay i kind of doubt it because again paul's directions are so minor it's just a matter like it's just a matter of changing the volume or cut and pasting some recorded material that already exists like they yeah. don't have to re-record anything yeah but even so even if it did cause a delay if the president of the company says you have to delay the release of a big project for a couple days then you delay well exactly that's annoying for the other partners i'm sure but that's how it is them's the breaks and the release ended up being pushed back a couple weeks anyway so so it wasn't the end of the world apparently yeah and also there was never an official reason given like if there if it was if it was like oh shit i'm sorry paul phil mm. specter is in bolivia right now and we can't yeah. get a hold of him that was never issued as a reason it like literally yeah. the reason was like tough shit mccartney yes. it, by klein That's, who yeah, by, exactly it, it's not klein's business this has nothing to do with alan klein he's not the producer it's none of his True business that. he should stay the hell out of the yeah. the music and as john so politely told brian mm. <laughs> get your fucking yeah. ass out of our music and stick to your job counting beans or whatever uh-huh the full unabridged acom dunk can be found in episode five of our mistake in many ways series which comes highly recommended by us <laughs> <laughs> it's true <laughs> it's one of my favorites it's one of my one of my favorites of our series for sure personally uh peter dog it's not my favorite writer i wouldn't say his book is bad because there is some really useful information in it but i think there are big problems in it yeah and and this is one of them well and there's also big problems in things that he's said but that's you know oh i want to know though what has he said he said he was hardest on Paul because he because he related to him or something like that. Oh, that's right. I'm like, that's called projection, sir. Okay. Well, you have that... to work out your own feelings of self-hatred and not project them onto somebody that I hate to break it to you, Peter Dogger, but you're not Paul McCartney. So respectfully go somewhere else with that. And also that's not a good reason to go extra hard on somebody because he reminds you of yourself yeah it's also not okay to be aware of that and then not fix it like it matters it should and if people are like well who are you to say that don't you relate to the beatles all the time yeah we do in order to empathize with them not yeah. to judge them more harshly exactly yeah it wasn't too late dog it's full of shit next 
Anonymous asked, As much as I love and respect McCartney and think he is a genius on Mozart's level in many ways, he was not a child prodigy. Smart and bright, yes, but not abnormally so. <laughs> he got into the Liverpool Institute, but so did his brother, and so did George. Taking language classes is great, but that does not equal fluency. And even if it did, learning multiple languages as a child is extremely common. And as far as we know, he didn't even compose his first song until he was 14, well outside the parameters of even the loosest definition of a child prodigy. I liked a lot of this episode. I appreciate that you introduced me to more of his classical work than I'd previously been aware of. I just don't think false comparisons need to be made for him to be considered one of the greats. Well, thank you, Anon. I I would like to especially thank you for even though you are you know posing, you know, a, a counterpoint, a disagreement. Yeah, yeah a counterpoint, a disagreement with us. You still said some nice things about the episode. We put a lot of effort into our episodes, and so it can be very discouraging if all we get is like, "I disagree with you about this." The end. Yes, thank you, thank you for taking the time to say that, and and glad that you enjoyed it. And I'm always happy to spread the news about about Paul's classical works. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, I yeah, I I pretty much agree with you. Prodigy was the the word our guest used, and you know we were there to interview her, and we were having fun. But yeah, you make good points. Well, yeah, and I specifically said that Paul insists he was not a child prodigy. Mm -hmm. So I actually did offer that counterpoint. But uh, just to have Valerie's back for a second about the foreign language thing. Um, I don't think that Valerie was arguing that mm. speaking multiple languages makes you a prodigy. I think she was just pointing out another similarity between another similarity. Yeah, yeah. Paul and Mozart. It's like they both. I mean, that's ha true. You know, being close to your dad doesn't make you a prodigy either. You know, a right, lot of right. those similarities that we that we mentioned are just coincidental, <laughs> like their love of birds. And I was about to say our loving birds is not a fast track to being a genius yeah, prodigy. yeah exactly, it's just another exactly. point they have in common yeah but uh point taken and um yeah thanks thanks dear phoebe and daphne hello hope this finds you both well sorry to bother you but i have a nagging question and i'm hoping that acom's formidable powers of research might help in all the excitement about now and then and it is exciting Yay! <laughs> the British press seems to have decided unequivocally that these demos came with a personal message, quote, for Paul, unquote, from John. A great story, if true. But as far as I'm aware, this is unsourced, and oddly, no one seems to question why it wasn't mentioned in 95. On the other hand, no one has taken the trouble to offer an official <laughs> contradiction, though Paul and Sean did clarify other aspects of the story. So is there any actual source for this at all? If so, I'd love to see it. Either way, I guess it's interesting that post get back, no one bats an eyelid about the idea of John making tapes for Paul. Yeah. Many thanks. Anon. P.S. <laughs> <laughs> very much looking forward to your next series, Smiley Face. Yay. P.P.S. To add to the confusion, the various accounts are not completely consistent. See, mm -hmm. the BBC on 13th of June. It was one of the several songs on a cassette labeled For Paul that Lennon had made shortly before his death in 1980. 
and from The Guardian, also 13th of June, the demo was one of several songs on cassettes labeled For Paul that Lennon made shortly before his death in 1980, which were later given to McCartney by Lennon's widow, Yoko Ono. And <laughs> and from The Telegraph, 14th of June, a cassette was later passed to McCartney by Lennon's widow, Yoko Ono, with John's handwritten note stating simply, For Paul. <laughs> I like The Telegraph coming in real romantic there. I know, right? This <laughs> handwritten note stating simply, simply for Paul. We all know what that means, don't we? <laughs> I posted this question on our Facebook. Like, when did all the media decide that John wrote for Paul on this tape? I think they're very much copy-pasting. What, right. What's my source? My source is The Guardian. Well, mine's mm -hmm. The Telegraph. <laughs> well, mine's The BBC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The story about the cassette with four Paul written on it mm -hmm. came out in the 90s. I mean, it was like an yeah. urban legend for for many years because there was never nobody could find the source of that information. And it might have mm -hmm. been some insider shit that floated out. Uh, you know, it could be yeah. it might be real. But since it was never sourced, everybody's looked at it with uh, skepticism, obviously, for obvious <laughs> reasons. But sure. now, all of a sudden every news story has been reporting as fact that this was a tape that john lennon wrote for paul on well i'll tell you that would make sense if they were planning to write and record some stuff together which we have very 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 strong reason to believe they were that john wrote that on some tapes he was like oh you know here's what i want to send to paul or you know drop off in a location for him to pick up like this is what i want to record with him and if I were Paul, and I knew that was true, and I knew, because I'm not an idiot, that people were going to maybe freak out about this, I would want that out there. Like, listen, <laughs> John meant for these songs to go to me. So it's not like, why are you dancing on this man's grave by yeah. taking his songs and commodifying yeah. them or whatever? Yeah, exactly. He can't come out and say that because he's never said that before. So he can't say it now. You know, the time to reveal that directly has passed for Paul. It's going to have to come from elsewhere. Here's what's frustrating to me. If we're at that point that, as our listener pointed out, post Get Back, nobody questions the fact that John's writing songs and writing for Paul on it. Like, everybody's like, oh, yeah, that tracks. That makes sense. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Can we also work in the whole Carl Perkins now and then story? I saw that story was like circulating around Twitter recently. And I'm like, can we put those two things together? If we're going to go ahead and report that like, oh, John Lennon wrote for Paul on this cassette. That makes sense. Okay. How about you pick up this scintillating little piece of information? That they saw each other two weeks before John died or whatever. And apparently John said, think of me now and then. Yeah, Like that's a phrase for them. Mm -hmm. Once you put all those two things together, you're like, oh, holy shit, he wrote this song for Paul. Somebody wrote like a Lennon musical in like the, yeah. the aughts or something like that. And the director of a musical called Now and Then, like the most moving love song John ever wrote. I'm like, okay, can mm. we talk about the fact that that's for Paul? <laughs> Jesus, can we please get this conversation started? Is it time yet? It's past time. It's past time. Like, you're so close. Now you're three quarters of the way there. Just <laughs> smush all those things together and let's talk about it. 
Oh my one, god! One more piece of string. Oh my you'll god! Have it. <laughs> That's right. Paul is eighty-one fucking years old. Can we please pull this together quickly? Oh yeah. Oh, he deserves that. He does. I mean, regardless of how much you're going to get out of him about it, at least run that story so he can read it and go, Jesus Christ, took y'all long enough. Yeah, exactly. And to be clear, we're not saying that John would have written for Paul to indicate that Paul is the object of the song. (laughs) We understand that it would have been like an earmark of these are the ones to send to Paul or whatever. Yeah, but as a... as a separate like discrete issue yes exactly. now and then is definitely for him it's def- it is definitely for <laughs> yeah but anyway i suppose it doesn't matter that much <laughs> in conclusion <laughs> in conclusion john is Who in the dakota cares? lamenting a long lost love poor baby <sighs> Here's the thing about oh. about now and then. There's been there was such a brouhaha about the AI and that mm-hmm. whole kerfuffle, mm-hmm. and then Paul going, "All right, everybody, calm the fuck down." And Sean <laughs> Lennon going, yes. "Okay, everybody, calm the fuck down and calm down." Yeah. The AI aside, this song is going to be finished. Is Paul singing on it? Is he going to mm. be doing vocals? Is he going to be writing those mumbled words by John, or are we actually going to hear the <gasps> yeah that part in the middle that you can't <gasps> really hear like did Bitch. ai actually pull that out are we <gasps> gonna hear those lyrics or is paul gonna write them like he did for uh for uh free as a bird bitch you are blowing my mind right i didn't even think about that i know it's, it's like been buried in all this other nonsense wow oh my god they're so much they are so much they are so much daphne i'm glad this is the note they should end on though i I really do i commend paul for like timing and for like boom hitting us right where it counts this coming after get back back. really will have more of an impact you're right you know at the very very least no one can now look at him doing this and be like oh John never even liked Paul. So that's good. That's progress. It is. I do feel like we really, we have progressed in Beetleland in the last five years. What an iceberg this fandom is. Or a glacier, that's what I meant to say. Explain. What is it? What's that metaphor? (laughs) (laughs) It moves at a glacial pace. Oh, yeah yeah but like we have a lot invested in the beatles you know yeah but so do other people so do other people with different values and that's i was about to say for very very different reasons yeah yeah that's hard true nobody wants to give up their beloved institutions and nobody wants to give up their values so it's 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 hard to give ground on those things Mm. oh humanity's complicated Anonymous asked, Hello, Akon. I was wondering if any of you remember or can find the text where John, in the 70s, I think, was talking to this guy he met somewhere who is in the process of writing a biography about Elvis 
and proceeded to talk about Elvis with each other for, like, ages. And the vibes slash possible romantic tension, if I remember correctly, were all over. I made a post about it, but no one could remember where it came from. I don't think I made it up. Who was the guy? Did he finish writing his Elvis book? What was the vibe? Those are the questions that are on me mind. Thanks for reading and keep up the good work. Your podcast is pretty cool and appreciated. <laughs> I have no idea what about this story. I'm afraid. I have never heard that before in my life, but it's a fantastic image and I love it. It sounds idea. awesome. Yeah. I I hope that John had romantic tension with a guy writing an Elvis book. <laughs> And I wish that for him. Yes. <laughs> I hope it yes. was resolved in some way as well. Agreed. Oh, hang on. Okay. I have to take this. Hang on one sec. I'll be right back. Hello. Come in. Hey. Talia. Hey, I'm subbing in for Daphne for this one. Well, that is awful nice of you. <laughs> All right. So uh, Talia and I are going to take this next one. Uh, would you like to read Talia for us? Absolutely. Hey, this one, I, I love this one. Anonymous asks, after thinking about Paul and John and the nature of their friendship, I wonder if while Paul loved John, if it was hard to be John's friend and maybe constant companion. John could be acerbic and moody, needy, helpless, and awkward socially. Maybe Paul sought to create an identity without John because of his emotional intensity, and perhaps Paul felt that he couldn't continue to be under his wing like in the beginning when John was the older leader. Maybe John sensed this and was incredibly hurt and felt betrayed. Paul may not have meant it to be a move away from John, but as more of a way to seek friendships and interests that he desired and that John may have blocked especially with John seeming to be more of a loner. It may have been stifling for Paul, who may relate to John creatively and musically and in their humor, but maybe not so much emotionally or socially. Mm. I think that may be why John treated Paul so poorly at the end and made such a point to make Paul feel unwanted and isolated apart from the other three Beatles. Many of us have had friendships that work well one-on-one -on -one or in small doses, but they aren't necessarily the best ones to have all the time, or they may limit our ability to expand our social lives, or even feel suffocating or too dramatic. John admitted to being controlling and jealous. The dependency and chronic depression may have been too exhausting. I would love your thoughts. I have some thoughts. <laughs> Ooh! That is a big ask. It is a big one. There's a lot of moving parts in there, and all these concepts have lived rent-free in my head for 11 billion years <laughs> since I became a fan as a kid. Um, so yeah, um, my answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, listener, for this ask. I really liked this one. So I want to say something kind of important before I start. Mm -hmm. uh, I really don't want to frame this as though I think John was a burden because he needed a lot of emotional support. Like yeah. He obviously struggled his whole life because of his insecurities and his lack of skills that he could use to regulate his emotions and prevent himself from acting out in harmful ways. Um, most of us can agree that John needed mental health support that wasn't even an option in the 1960s. Yes. And that's not his fault. It's not. 
But I also want to reiterate a point that Daphne and Phoebe made in the Pizza and Fairy Tales series, that being in a relationship with someone who struggles with these types of issues, the way John did, can be very hard. Mm. And it's yeah. not because the person themselves is a difficult person, but it's because all the love and emotional support in the world can't really make anything better permanently for that person who's suffering. If that person stays stuck where they are, their loved ones end up on the receiving end of abuse a lot of the time. So I think the people who love John the most also deserve some compassion and not because they're saintly for tolerating John or anything like that. That's not what I mean. And that's not the connotation that I want attached to what I'm saying. So I just want to be clear. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> when someone lashes out in anger and jealousy repeatedly, like they have a history of this and it's usually in response to completely reasonable things because of their own trauma, which is unrelated to the person that they're acting out against, when all that person is trying to do is have a relationship with them, it is really hard to be on the receiving end of that. And it can be so upsetting and really traumatic to, to have that happen to you repeatedly by the same person over and over again, even if you love them, even if you have so much compassion for them. It's just really, you know, it's hard for the person struggling, of course, and it's also hard for their loved ones for different reasons. Yeah, you're right. And I think sort of as a fandom, we kind of fall into two ways of thinking, which is like, number one, we love John, we want to protect John, we think John was great. And so Paul must be at fault for everything. Mm, yeah, he must be a bad person if to make John so angry and whatever. And like then the other reasonable reason for John acting this way exactly and then on the other side no we love paul paul's terrific he didn't do anything wrong and john's just a piece of shit right you know, when it's neither of those things right yeah it's complicated it is complicated another thing i was thinking about when i read this as um after the breakup paul said that having a life outside of the beatles was such a huge turn on for him um i had trouble finding that exact quote but i know that you and daphne talked about it in a mistake mm. in many ways and we know that John is lovely and lovable as he could be, could also act out and make people really uncomfortable when he was around other people that he might have considered a threat or comp you know, competition or somebody that he yeah. felt intimidated by. You know, he acted like a fool around little Richard. Um, yeah. He was Carol rude to Carol King. Yep. <laughs> you read my mind? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Jane Asher repeatedly rude and disgusting around her. Yeah tore up a woman's clothes in Hamburg because Paul was sleeping with her or something. Yeah. Um, assaulted a woman and a gay man at Paul's 21st birthday. So again, not trying to make a huge laundry list of all the things that John did. It's more just like, there's a history here. And this is the stuff we know about as fans, right? Yeah. So maybe there's more stuff. Who knows? But either way, to me, it sounds reasonable that you know, if Paul knew that John could be unpredictable and there was a possibility that if he brought John along to hang out with his new friends that he made during the mid-60s, all of the counterculture luminaries he was hanging out with, um, he might act out and be rude and embarrassing, which makes it a lot less enjoyable and a lot more stressful for Paul to have to manage that and to have to, like when you bring a new friend into a different friend group, and it doesn't quite fit, that's already a little awkward, but when the person's being antagonistic, that's even more awkward. <laughs> it also probably just felt kind of cool to hang out with other people that weren't the Beatles. Well, and also I think when 
John and Paul are together, they have to share the spotlight, and that can be exhausting too. Oh yeah, yeah, I that's mean, an angle I hadn't thought about. Like, you know, Paul kind of gets a chance to shine. He gets to be seen and known as Paul McCartney, an individual man. That had to have been a huge part of it for Paul. So for him to be like, I have a group of people that are closest to me, and they're separate from that whole set of baggage. Just not having to compete for favoritism all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. How do you feel about the part of the question uh, where they bring up how this may have been perceived by John as a big betrayal? and a reason for him to mistreat Paul during the breakup. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. You can kind of trace a, a bunch of little tiny things about Paul moving away from John. Uh, you know, again, as Anon put it, Paul may not have meant it to be a move away from John. Like, it might not have be consciously like, I, I need to get away from him. Could just be a chance to expand his horizons yeah. a little bit, expand his friend group. We don't think of John and Paul as childhood friends, but they really are. They're like high school friends, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, they grew together into men, but also your individuality does come through as you get older. And mm. that's totally natural. You know, sometimes I find it annoying the way uh, people sort of flippantly say like, oh, the Beatles broke up because it's natural. They were all getting older and stuff like that. Right. And like, yeah, I feel like it doesn't cop out. Exactly. Like that doesn't really explain anything. But if, but of course there's truth to that. Of course mm -hmm. there is, yeah. you know. I have people that I will go like three or four years in a row without talking to because we live far away and we're doing different things. But when we reconnect it's the connection never died, really. You're not pruning a branch off. You're just letting another branch grow in a different direction. You know, at least yeah. for Paul. Like, he really, he planted a flag that's like, okay, this is my grown-up life. I'm going to get a house in the city. You know, I'm going to put down roots with my girlfriend. Like, we're going to start being more serious. Whatever. You know, like, all these things started happening. I'm going to explore the arts in a way I never have before. I'm going to meet new people. It's going to be awesome. You know, like, I don't think he was thinking, like, this is a move away from John, but you know, it's definitely possible that John thought of it that way. Yeah. If John is struggling with self-worth, self-identity, all, all this kind of stuff, then it could not just be like, Paul isn't doing the thing I want. It could be like, oh, he doesn't want to be around me. I'm a mm. joke. I'm an imposter. Yeah. Nobody likes me. Oh, yeah. I'm unlovable. My mom didn't even want me. Yeah. John has I'm a useless. lot of rejection sensitivity, obviously. Yeah. And I think Paul does too, in a different way. Like they both have it um it yeah, manifests yeah. differently for both of them like Paul's the kind where if you reject him he'll just run away and not talk to you yep. um <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he's like okay you don't want me I'm not going to be around then yes. that, that's how I am like I can totally relate to that I'm like oh they don't want me um Every okay I'm gonna yeah go exactly away. everybody hates me I get it cool so I'm gonna go away so they John so sets your house on fire yeah right <laughs> he comes and throws a brick through the window or something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I don't think it is. I think you're right that it's more accurate to look at it, not like, oh, Paul's doing these things or he's not doing things. It's more like, oh, what does that say about me? He doesn't love me. What's wrong with me? I'm terrible. Yeah, yeah that's kind of the genesis of it for John, I think. 
And then, you know, John being needy, I, I don't really like that word. Um, you know, because yeah, it's judgmental. It's, like, it's very ju- Yeah, but yeah. I, I understand what it what the person meant. And I know they probably didn't mean it that way. So yeah, yeah. listener, don't feel bad for using the word. Uh, it's just more like, I think it's somebody who went a long time without what they needed. Right? <laughs> so yeah, of course, they're gonna need is, things. He's needful. <laughs> he's needful. Yes. Um, yeah. So is Paul. Yeah, no, they both are. I mean, yeah. like y'all said in Pizza and Fairy Tales, Linda and Yoko do a ton of emotional labor for these guys. Well, I also think Paul externalizes a lot of that need into it. Like he gets a lot of it out of um, approbation and whatever, like, uh, te- you know, uh, attention, Accomplish- adulation, fan, yeah, applause, whatever. Mm. A lot of that is a substitute yeah, for whatever he needs. That's that's a good point. Like his overachieverness um yeah. is a way to get love and support. Whereas John, like I think John will test people. I mean, Cynthia said that in her book about him, John. He would do something, you know, that would kind of shake your foundation and like see how you reacted to him. And if yeah. you're still around after that, then I guess you passed the test. Anonymous asked loved 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 the a woman who understands episode with christine feldman barrett especially the part about the difference in attitudes towards male and female fans the part about female fans having to fight the misconception that women are into the beatles because they're cute really spoke to me somehow both men and women who don't participate in fandoms have gotten the idea that if a woman is a fan of a band, she must be attracted to its members. That attitude also shows up in other fandom spaces. Oh, you're into Star Wars? So who is it you have the hots for? Anakin, Han Solo, or Kylo Ren? It especially gets irritating as an arrow ace woman. You can find music and personalities charming and compelling without sexual attraction and yes, I've heard, wait, you're a Beatles fan? I thought you were Arrow Ace. <laughs> that's crazy. That, <laughs> that is, is a crazy thing to say to someone. That's so dumb. I'm so sorry. I'm wow. sorry, listener. I'm sorry that somebody has said that to you even once. That's so stupid. I, I wanted to say also, I really loved the episode with Dr. Christine. It was great. Okay. It was Thank amazing. You, Talia. Thank you. It was a great conversation. And yeah, like that is a really annoying issue. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm non-binary and I use they, them pronouns, but I was assigned female at birth and socialized as a girl and woman. So um went around the world for many years as a girl and woman. And yeah, I got the same shit multiple <laughs> times from usually white cishet men. Um <laughs> Almost never would another woman say, oh, you must like them because they're cute. Unless it's just like, they just want to talk about who's the cutest or something. Right. Well, if we're having that conversation. That's different. Yeah. that's <laughs> If we're talking about which one was more attractive or whatever. As I, pals. Yeah. Yeah, as pals. <laughs> which, well, that's the thing. It's like, you should be allowed to have those conversations and feel that way. And also be a serious, be considered a serious fan of the music. You know, yeah, like I'm I'm mostly into the history and the music, like the drama. That's just really neat to me. Um, and yeah, like they're sexy. So what? <laughs> both things can be true at the same time. I like them both. 
I think most straight guys have opinions on whether or not a woman is sexy or not. So, oh, they do, and they tell you. So, if we applied this standard to men, we'd be in big trouble. No one would be allowed to like anything. Yeah, Seriously, it's, mm-hmm. it's just dumb. It's stupid. Anonymous asked, "I think." Paul blocking George's input on Hey Jude was especially difficult for George because George wanted to write with Paul as an equal collaborator because he felt excluded and little brothered, but Paul denied him and confirmed George's insecurities. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I kind of see it more like not so much that George wanted to be an equal writing partner, like the same as John. I think George maybe just wanted to play and collaborate with Paul more than he had because he liked him. You know, I like the vibe I got and get back anyway, just watching them and watching George's body, you know, like, okay, so body language is not an exact science at all, especially when you put like neurodivergent people into the mix. Because, like, a neurodivergent person's body language isn't going to be the same as, you know, a mm. like a non-neurodivergent person. So it's not a universal thing. Everyone's body language is a little different. But I just kind of got the impression that he was just trying to get closer initially. And I think there might have been some John and Paul jealousy going on, too. You think George was trying to get closer? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. he was trying to get closer to Paul. Mm, yeah. You know, like, and, and you think Paul was not receptive to that? You know, it was hard to tell um, because I think George also kind of had a hard edge to him at times. And I think yeah. that might have made Paul a little bit defensive. Scared. Yeah, yeah, like not scared, but like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have his hackles raised a uh, little. Yes, and, for like, sure. Okay, if you're gonna like every other thing you say is gonna be hypercritical, that's gonna hurt my feelings. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's kind of a bad feedback loop with them, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. I don't think of it as Paul blocking George's input on Hey Jude. (laughs) I think George played a part, and Paul said, "Uh, no, I'd rather you not. Yeah. So it was rejecting a suggestion. Well, get out of my brain, because I was about to say something like that. (laughs) There was one thing that George was like, how about this? And he's like, no, I don't like it. Mm -hmm. Which is part of the creative process when you're collaborating with other people. Sometimes you don't like a person's suggestion, and you're like, okay, it's I'm not doing that my song i'm not gonna do it which doesn't sound unfair or unreasonable no it's fine Uh, i do think george took it some kind of way for sure yeah for sure it was and you know it's easy to empathize with george it's a little embarrassing or whatever maybe george felt like paul didn't give it a fair shake Mm -hmm. or maybe he was overly sensitive about it i mean yeah either way i do feel like he like i said felt some kind of way about it paul knew Paul knew it was a thing, <laughs> like because he brought it up and get back. Like <laughs> he, know, he knows it's a thing. I don't know if he's being sensitive or trying awkwardly to be sensitive and making it worse or whatever. I feel like it might have been a little of the latter. Like he tried to be like, see, it's a little bit like that, but for George, it was like salt in the wound. <laughs> <laughs> yes. George wanted to write with Paul as an equal collaborator, but Paul denied him. And confirm George's insecurities. Like, I don't think we have any no, evidence that, that no. George actually wanted to write with Paul. I think that's kind of something that 
maybe fans and writers kind of assume like maybe that's where that was going but i i don't know that there's any evidence of that i think george wanted more he wanted to be able to contribute more to the songs as a musician and you know maybe felt that paul wasn't respectful enough of his contributions yeah i think that's really what's going on i think they were done as bandmates oh yeah no like i remember uh daphne said they were eating sandwiches buddies but they were not writing songs buddies (laughs) yeah 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 exactly (laughs) like they could just hang out and do stuff that had nothing to do with music and have a good time although they did look super cute in anthology when they were just jamming some of their old like thinking of lincoln and silly little songs like that well, they were in a band for a really long time, so I'm sure it was like sex, you know, like yeah, it yeah. <laughs> was easy to do it again. It probably felt good too, but yeah, that's a good point. But none of the problems really disappeared. <laughs> you know, they never got resolved, so I'm sure that would come back up as well. Oh yeah, and no matter how good the sex is, you can't use it to cover the issues. <laughs> the issues will always come to the surface exactly exactly and after the pleasure has subsided you're still stuck with the same situation so (laughs) on that note on that note (laughs) (laughs) you have to go i do and it looks like daphne is back hey daphne hey daphne welcome back thank you for keeping phoebe company talia i stepped out of our little acom bubble for two seconds and immediately caught covid no yeah i've got out of the bubble that we've all been living in together for three years our little hamster house (laughs) (laughs) don't bring covid into the hamster i i stayed away i quarantined my own little pup tent that i set up outside the hamster house on our greek island that we bought from our acom proceeds (laughs) (laughs) we had to sell a lot of (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts thanks talia i think i'm up to answering some questions again now oh awesome all right anonymous asked here's a quote from paul from newsweek may 3rd 1980 see i think the big problem is that when he and yoko were madly in love the rest of us beatles didn't handle it very well we got very uptight about stuff that wasn't offensive if they want to go pose in the nude, who cares? Our friend was suddenly on an album cover nude, and it was just weird. I feel sorry for John and Yoko that we weren't able to be cool about the whole bloody thing, but in retrospect, I can understand it. Hey, give peace a chance. Great stuff, man. Nude on two virgins? Why not? I'm not a prude, really. It's just the shock. Okay, and then Yoko on Paul. Sometimes we bury the hatchet and sometimes we dig it up again. He always has something to bring up. It's all right. That's his style and that's him. (laughs) Anon says, I love their mixture of self-awareness and dot, 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 the reverse. (laughs) Excellent. Great series. Thank you. Obviously, this is in reference to Strange Bedfellows. So why was Paul so bothered by two virgins? I would love your thoughts on this. Thanks. It's just the embarrassment factor. Yeah, I agree with that. They're still in a band together and they still are associated together in the public consciousness. So 
And it was obviously something that was going to change how the Beatles were viewed and was going to get a massive, massive reaction. Yes. And like, uh, there's a quote from Paul at the time that says, okay, so people are now just going to say the Beatles are into porn. Yeah. Which they did. Yeah, which is not, it's like, that's not Paul's reaction. That's Paul anticipating what the public reaction will be. Correct. In fairness, you know, like the public reaction was not good. Yeah. There's a time and a place to court negative attention. Do you know what I mean? If George Harrison is allowed to To be salty about about Paul saying that he took LSD, then yeah, then Paul's allowed to be like, what the hell, John? When John Mm -hmm. just puts out a naked album cover. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's what that's what Ringo was still saying in anthology times come on john (laughs) the rest of us have to deal with this there are times when it's when it's worth it or even good to like push boundaries and court a reaction even a negative reaction Mm -hmm. but is it worth it to put your dick on an album like is that worth is that such an important artistic statement that it is worth the blowback well regardless of you know the the we can debate the artistic merit of it but sure you know regardless of whether you like it or not i mean i'm not arguing that he shouldn't have done it or that he's not allowed to make his own individualistic artistic statements like i Mm -hmm. you know i think he should be able to do that but to be fair he's still in a band at this point so he you know i think it's fair that he runs that by his 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 partners mm. or whatever so that's the only that's the only issue i mean john lennon individual artist is allowed to do whatever he wants but of course as an active member of the beatles it does reflect back on the other beatles so yeah that's the only um hitch so there's that obviously paul's not aghast at the sight of the human body well for god's sake no one is right personally i probably think paul was also upset that john was making this bold artistic statement without him Mm. and with somebody new i mean because john and paul are still partners at this time i mean they have not professionally broken up yeah and anyway you slice it this is a bold a bold public step i mean everybody agrees that this is you know the first major step of john individuating and mm-hmm. you know going in more of a solo direction so of course it's going to be shocking to paul a maybe it stings a bit for john to be doing something so big and bold without him but also if it's something that he knows that he is not interested in doing then maybe that's a little scary too like if this is john's yeah. new direction there's no place for me in that right right because i'm not doing that well it gets back to the whole issue of like how he can't compete with yoko like she offers things yeah can't yeah i mean technically paul could but he ain't gonna Mm. yeah and and this is all on the heels of the white album and paul feeling you know john saying hey yoko why don't you sing this part instead of paul on bungalow bill and then Paul feeling like he was cut out of Revolution 9. Yeah. And just 
discomfited in general by Yoko's omnipresence. So yeah, this is you know, it speaks one to more a bigger notch. issue. Yeah. yeah. All of that said, we do still have that quote from Paul at the time uh, that where he said about the naked album cover. Yeah, I'm not super into like the naked album, but I love John, and in this instance, I'm gonna proceed on the assumption that he's ahead of me on this. And to what what degree he actually felt that way, and to what degree he was just being defensive of and loyal to John in that conversation, who knows? It's a very sweet quote. Yeah. It says a lot about Paul's regard for John. Well, and was perceived by Ken Mansfield to be very sincere. Yeah. So he's really double yeah. doubling down on his loyalty to John yeah. at this yeah. time. And John was always consistent in returning the favor regarding Paul's LSD comment. He always went to bat for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's sweet. true. So to a, to an extent, it makes sense that John would expect Paul to be supportive because they've been very supportive of each other in the past up until this point. Yeah. So before that, Paul was there for John about the Jesus remark and supported all of his solo efforts you know like supported his books supported his movies true i I think the the only the complication is yoko yeah it's it's john doing it with another intimate partner that's hurtful Mm. it's one thing to be doing solo projects it's it's another to be doing it with a new partner so true i mean how do we think that john would have responded if Paul and Linda had done a naked album cover in 1968. <laughs> Do we all think that John would be okay with that? And be normal about it? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, considering he couldn't even be normal about Paul and Linda being Existing? affectionate together <laughs> in 1979, I think I think we all know the answer to that question. So there you go. <laughs> thanks anon anon asked my question involves the breakup series which i'm just getting to now it's taken me a while because i find the topic a bit depressing so i've been holding off but something i heard on another podcast about the liberty bell meeting and the loss of northern songs finally spurred me to listen and then to write to you This podcast asserted that the fault for the loss of Northern songs should be placed on the Eastmans and not on Klein or John. I've summarized what they said below. This other podcast was doing a series on Alan Klein, and in one of the episodes, they discuss the Liberty Bell meeting. They quote Doggett in saying that they don't understand why Paul suddenly objected to the contract with Klein. Because Paul and the Eastmans had been at a previous meeting about the contract, and neither of them raised any objections to the contract, so they don't get why he suddenly didn't want to sign. What's your take on that? How reliable is Doggett? I haven't read his book, so I don't know. As I mentioned above, they assert that the loss of Northern Songs is entirely the fault of the Eastmans, and Paul, by natural extension, since the Eastmans represented him. They said that Klein worked a deal where Lou Grade would have control for 12 months, and and when the agreement came to an end, then Apple would buy the shares. He approached Grade, this part is from Apple to the core, quoting a guy from the consortium, to get the consortium control of Northern Songs. But Apple would get sub-publishing rights in the US and Canada, 
a deal which Grade couldn't do at the time because of the consortium. Says all of this was a good deal, but the Eastmans wrote a letter to Grade saying that Klein doesn't represent Paul. But Paul actually withdrew the letter, saying that Klein did speak for him. They said that the Eastmans had so much animosity toward Klein that they acted without Paul's permission. The other members of the consortium were selling their shares to other members of the consortium. So by September, ATV had 38% of Northern Songs. There was a meeting on September 19th with Klein, John, Paul, Ringo, Linda, and Yoko, where they discuss how the board of Northern Songs will be made up if John and Paul get control. Klein wouldn't be on the board. Lee Eastman, who is also in the meeting, says that Paul must have voting rights equal to the combined voting rights of the other three Beatles. This came from Klein in his affidavit, who says even Paul was shocked by it. Eastman said that Paul needed to be sure that he couldn't be outvoted. Ringo apparently had the biggest objection to it. The following day is where they're signing the capital deal, where Klein got them much larger royalties. All three Beatles signed then, and then George signed later. Paul apparently said at the meeting that, If you're screwing us, I can't see how it's happening. Oh. Paul then suggests that they go on a small tour. Then John said no, he was leaving the group. Ringo says, contrary to Paul's recollection that everyone was shocked, that everyone was relieved and agreed to end the band in this meeting. On the same day, ATV buys more shares from the consortium, which gives ATV almost 50% of Northern Songs. Only five days later, they got 54%, and it's all over, so ATV controlled the company. Grade said that Klein called him after that point and said that he beat them to it. Klein proposes to Grade that ATV would buy the rest of the Beatles' shares for a mix of cash and shares in ATV, so that the Beatles would still have a share. John and Paul would resign with Northern Songs and extend their contract to 1976, and also George and Ringo, also until 1976. My god. John and Paul would get the 56... Len Mack songs back, and Apple would get sub-publishing rights in the U.S. Then, Lee Eastman won't let Paul sign the deal, so it doesn't happen, and they will no longer have any control over Northern songs. Eastman didn't have his own deal to replace it. According to a book by a guy named Brian Southall, the reason why Eastman didn't want Paul to sign it, simply because it was a deal created by Klein and the Eastmans hated Klein so much that they tanked the deal. Then, John and Paul offer to just sell their shares to ATV for the consortium price, and ATV takes the deal. How believable is any of this? I have to say that I'm skeptical of anything Klein says in his affidavit, not to mention that it seems bizarre to me that the Eastmans, who are highly experienced entertainment lawyers, would tell Paul not to take a deal because of their own personal animus against Klein. However, they also quote some books that a lot of people seem to think are pretty accurate, so I'd love your take on it. All right. Thank you for your ask, Anon. Oh, we <clears throat> should maybe say ahead of time that we have not listened to that podcast series. Yeah. And I... while from multiple descriptions, I think I probably disagree with a lot of their interpretations. You know, we can't we can't very well criticize another podcast for, you know, taking on an established narrative and doing deep research and making a case against 
that narrative yeah for sure Especially, that's very well put yeah we we know very well how frustrating it can be to put hours and hours and hours and hours of work into something and then have someone criticize it based on a not very deep look at what you've actually said so just want to put that out there we know the series you're talking about we're aware of yeah. it but we haven't actually listened to it although you gave a very good synopsis <laughs> thank you very much Anon. <laughs> <laughs> okay so we'll be going off of your synopsis in our answer right yes so this is certainly not an attack or even really a response to any other podcast because again we didn't listen to the series some of that I already knew. A lot of that is in Ken Womack's book and Ken McNabb's book. So um, none of that is particularly shocking to me. I'm going to give my general response to all of that. And then afterwards, we can go through a few of the specific things that you mentioned. So basically, Klein devised a deal that might have worked theoretically. But the Eastmans, for whatever reason, didn't agree to it. I'm sure that's probably true. Although, even so, it wouldn't place the blame entirely on the Eastmans, and certainly not on Paul, because it is the responsibility of Klein to communicate with the Eastmans and negotiate with them. Of course, they're within their rights to to listen to the proposal and then come back and, and not agree with it. Mm-hmm. So point being, the Eastmans aren't obligated to just go along with whatever Klein proposes. Both parties, Klein and Eastman, need to hammer out a deal together on behalf of their clients before negotiating with a third party. Arguing that this is Paul's fault is essentially saying, well, if Paul had just let Klein run everything, Klein would have done a great and honest and successful job on Mm. Northern Songs, which, number one, we can't prove because we don't know for sure how things would have played out like we don't know for sure that klein wouldn't have uh reneged or done some shady shit or Mm -hmm. put a clause in that gave himself more money or you know and the consortium was being squirrely all summer we don't know if they would have followed through on any of that stuff they could have reneged and number two it was already it's already been established that klein doesn't represent paul so like it or not Klein's obligated to collaborate with Paul's lawyers. So while I do think it's fair to say that the animosity between Klein and the Eastmans was mutual and that the Eastmans deserve their share of responsibility for that, I still wouldn't place 100% of the blame on them in this instance because negotiation is a two-way street. Klein had a history of doing shady shit, like creating and fostering animosity and distrust between Lennon and McCartney which we see in the whole shares debacle in April. Um, And of course, ostracizing and bullying Paul, which is hardly in a vacuum and can't be overlooked. Not to mention how he's treated previous clients. Well, and not to mention he's under investigation by the SEC. I mean, it's, you know, whatever. It's a whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. And then as far as Paul's concerned, if anything, I think Paul's willingness to go along with Klein's proposal, despite Klein's history of egregious disrespect towards him, says a lot about Paul's maturity and ability to act in whatever he believes is his and the Beatles' best interests. But for me, all of that obscures the main issue, which is that 
no matter what you think about the easements, at the end of the day, they're not the problem. The problem is that three of the Beatles decided that Alan Klein was going to manage the Beatles against Paul's objections. At that point, the relationship becomes adversarial. It's not a matter of Klein versus the Eastmans because at no point were the Eastmans ever forced upon John, George, and Ringo. If John had signed a contract with Klein to be his personal manager, as he originally said he was going to do in that get back tape the day after they met, that's a thousand percent okay. And John would be totally within his rights to do that. And then we could have fun conversations about whose manager was more of an asshole, John's or Paul's. <laughs> that does sound fun. But instead, John, George, and Ringo made a decision to strong arm Paul and force him into an adversarial position. And from that point on, the Beatles were doomed. So in my opinion, this line of reasoning just comes off as an attempt to shift the blame to Paul by moving the goalpost and focusing on things other than the three Beatles appointment of Klein. As far as Peter Doggett goes, I couldn't care less what Peter Doggett's opinion is or why he doesn't understand why Paul objected to Klein. Peter Doggett's lack of imagination or inability to empathize with Paul is not my problem. Once again, we're here making the case for basic human dignity for Paul within his own band and his alleged friend group. From the moment Klein approached John Lennon and made his pitch at the end of January 1969, he was whispering in John's ear and undermining Paul. John himself detailed explicitly yes. how Klein did this. Yes. Klein's entire approach was to divide and conquer Lennon-McCartney for the purpose of strong-arming McCartney. He built John up as the man in charge, convinced him he had the authority to act unilaterally on behalf of the group, and he pitted John against Paul from day one. He set up that big reveal about the shares for maximum embarrassment explicitly to create distrust between Lennon and McCartney and inflate what was basically a miscommunication into, I guess, a huge issue, or at least a red herring that's been used ever since. I was about to say, I guess, you know, he, he managed to make it into a big deal because people still talk about it. He used it for to his manipulate. purposes to manipulate yeah. John and ever since then beetle fans have taken the bait and done the same thing you know Clyde is no dummy he deliberately undermined paul in front of paul's own employees by refusing to take paul's calls at apple he screamed at paul in the studio in front of glenn johns trying to berate him into signing the management contract after the liberty bell incident he invented degrading nicknames for Paul, like the reluctant virgin. And he basically disrespected and devalued Paul in his own company, his creative space, and within his friend group. The fact that we even have to explain why Paul would object to this man says a lot 
about this fandom and the authorship of its history. And that last part is not directed at you, Anon, but just at the framework we've been given for these types of conversations. Paul did not trust Klein and he had every right to be wary of him. And he was totally vindicated. That last part seems to be the hardest pill to swallow for people who don't like Paul and want to blame him. And while it's totally valid to not like Paul or to think he has a crummy personality or to hate his music or whatever, it is a cold hard fact that Paul was right in this case and that Klein was ultimately a bad actor. Does that make John a bad person for falling under Klein's spell? No, not necessarily. I mean, you can feel that way if you want to, but it doesn't automatically make him bad, but it does make him wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> people can be in the wrong and not be bad people. Right. They can fall for the charms of a bad actor. It doesn't mean that that bad actor's bad traits like transfer to the person who is fooled by them. Alan Klein appealed to John's yes. susceptibility to manipulation. Yeah. Yes. Klein was a predator and he preyed on John and he pushed all the right buttons. So I'd like to get out of that mindset that you have to be on the side of your favorite person or that, you know, just because somebody is in the right or in the wrong in a situation makes them a right or wrong, bad or good person. That's not mm -hmm. how it works. Now, I'd like to read a summary from the McCartney legacy because this does a really good job on concisely and clearly explaining the issue with Klein and Paul's subsequent lawsuit. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and read this. In London, Justice Stamp handed down his decision on March 12, 1971, and it vindicated virtually every clause of McCartney's complaint. Listening to his brother-in-law's summary of the verdict over the phone, McCartney felt the jubilation that comes from having an uninvolved third party listen to your argument and agree entirely, a striking contrast to the fruitless debates in which he engaged with John and George all through 1969. Justice Stamp found that the appointment of Klein and ABCO to run Apple without McCartney's agreement was, quote, a breach in the terms of the partnership deed, unquote. Moreover, he noted that in several cases, Klein had taken fees greater than those to which he was entitled or as he put it when addressing Klein's commission on EMI earnings, quote, ABCO has made grossly excessive claims for commission and has received commission grossly in excess of that specified, unquote, in the agreement engaging Klein to manage Apple. He found that decisions were made that Paul was not, but should have been, consulted about, and he gave the back of his hand to the other Beatles' argument that Paul sometimes could not be found, noting that if they could not reach him directly, they could have gone through his legal advisor, John Eastman. In one especially egregious case, he found that the Beatles and Apple had, quote, acted in bad faith, unquote, by making a, quote, 
covert oral agreement, increasing ABCO's commission, unquote, without McCartney's knowledge and consent, a, quote, grave breach of duties, unquote, as McCartney's partners. He also called out Klein's dishonesty in two sections of his affidavit and expressed irritation with Finer, the attorney, who knew that those sections were inaccurate, but when challenged by Hearst, described them as, quote, silly, unquote, and a mistake, something that, Justice Stamp argued, was a waste of the court's time. Klein's statements, he added, quote, read to me like the irresponsible patter of a second-rate salesman, unquote. Nor was he much impressed by Klein's explanation that his recent tax conviction was just a misunderstanding. The bottom line was, Justice Stamp agreed that both business and personal considerations militated toward the dissolution of the partnership. This is, this is Stamp, a quote from Stamp here, uh, quote, each of the Beatles has made and is making recordings otherwise than as the group of four referred to in the partnership deed. There is an issue whether the product of these separate recordings is or is not partnership property, unquote. If so, he continued, this would cause, quote, the odd situation, unquote, in which the four Beatles, quote, exercising their art separately with inevitably varying degrees of skill and success, unquote, are contributing to the partnership in different proportions, all under the management of Klein, who McCartney mistrusts. If, on the other hand, the income from solo work was not partnership property, as McCartney argued, the Beatles would be competing against one another and possibly against Beatles recordings. Either way, the judge wrote, the best solution was to bring the partnership to an end. Quote, the squabblings which are described in detail in the affidavit evidence may in truth be attributable primarily to the management situation, but also to the situation in which the Beatles find themselves in the respects which I just mentioned. Confidence is gone, and although the discontinuance of joint recordings, and I am satisfied on the evidence, the possibility of their being resumed is negligible, is not in theory destructive of the partnership. It may be thought of as a practical matter that it would be inequitable to do otherwise than dissolve it, unquote. Justice Stamp added a final nail to the partnership's coffin by noting that the other Beatles and Klein had treated McCartney unfairly and that this was unlikely to change. Quote, the circumstances regarding the appointment of ABCO and subsequent surreptitious increase of its remuneration point clearly to the conclusion that the defendants are prepared in conjunction with or at the insistence of Mr. Klein to make the most important decisions without regard to the interests of the plaintiff, unquote. Having ordered the partnership dissolved, Justice Stamp turned to McCartney's demand for the appointment of a receiver. Quote, the financial situation is confused, uncertain, and confusing, he wrote. A receiver is, in my judgment, needed not merely to secure the assets, 
but so that there may be a firm hand to manage the business fairly as between the partners and to produce order. Unquote. He appointed James Douglas Spooner, a London chartered accountant with a reputation as a company doctor, as receiver and manager. But he agreed to allow a week for the Beatles and Apple to prepare and file an appeal. They did so on March 19th, but on April 26th, they dropped their appeal, opting instead to negotiate Paul's exit from the partnership agreement. Airing their dirty laundry in public view had not done the normally PR-savvy mop tops any favors. But for McCartney, it was a necessary first step to diminish Klein's control of Apple and, Paul hoped, turn John, George, and Ringo on to Klein's nefarious ways. And then they conclude with a quote from McCartney that we've probably all read before, but let's read it in context, okay? I was doing something for them, the other Beatles, McCartney explained. I had to go after Klein. It was obvious I had to go after him, but I had to go after him in this incredibly crazed way. You know, after all that love and peace, I had to turn around and sue my brothers. But no one could find any other way for me to make a stand against Klein, so I had to do it. And obviously they hated me for a period after it, because... All they could see was just me trying to screw them. So, spoiler alert, John, George, and Ringo were not turned on to <laughs> Klein's nefarious ways, at least not at the time. John at least doubled down hard. Hard. Harder than imaginable oh God, on Klein. Yes. The way you would for a spouse. Yeah. Yes. But, nevertheless, they all ended up suing him themselves and of course being countersued by Klein within a few years as could have been foreseen and actually was foreseen by Paul McCartney <laughs> so what I'm left with is it's not that it doesn't matter whether the Eastmans or Paul were making mistakes or even subconsciously or maybe even consciously at least on the Eastmans part trying to sabotage Klein and this deal because when you have a person who you know is toxic who you know is a con man even things that they might do which are good which most con artists do like they usually yes. they wouldn't get something. anywhere if they think they, they were yes, good they, they give you something up front and that's how they get their claws in and so I I understand if you know you you do have to throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah in order to get away from toxic people you yes. just do yeah, of course that's frustrating for the other Beatles and of course it complicates things enormously but I still understand it because as it turns out Klein was angling to screw them yes so. Well, yeah. he was he was angling to screw the Beatles, but he had already proven yes. completely adversarial to Paul McCartney. Yes. The idea that Paul should tolerate that is yes. beyond. Well, and as, as far as Paul and Eastman making no objections in one meeting, and then at the next meeting they've changed their minds, I, I don't think that that's strange. 
I don't I think mean, that's that's strange at all. As you as you gather information and yes. also as you process information and you you're making big decisions. Well, and if Glenn heard Paul said, "Well, if you are screwing us, I can't see how," and interpreted that as Paul's wholehearted final approval, if you're screwing us, I can't see how was in the divorce meeting. Which again is drenched in irony because yeah. Klein is withholding information about John wanting to leave the band and is and is advising his client not to reveal that information to Paul so that he will sign a contract extending that like that's fraud. Yeah, yeah. yeah Are is. you kidding me right now? That's fraud. Yeah. Ultimately, he was right. He he was right to object. Also, the matter of. Paul going ahead and being like, okay, great. Yeah, let's do this Northern Songs deal. Like, as I said, takes an enormous amount, in my opinion, of maturity on Paul's part to go like, okay, well, this dirtbag who disrespects me is proposing a good deal for the Beatles. I can be an adult and sign with that if I think it's good. The fact that the Eastmans came in and said, no, 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 no. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't agree to that and pulled the thing the interpretation that that's because the Eastmans just have a personal animosity against Klein is crazy to me. <laughs> I wasn't there, but my surface read of that would be that they're pulling it because because they don't want Paul to yes. sign something that then sets him up to not be allowed to disengage himself and that they can take to court then. Of course, Klein's going to turn around and take that to court and be like, Paul McCartney signed this and says right here that I can act on his behalf. So I'm the manager of the Beatles. And mm -hmm. at that point he screwed himself. Yeah. That is their yes. job. It is the Eastman's job to do things like pull those documents, like not let Paul sign things without explaining to him all the ramifications of what he's signing. That's what a good right. manager does. And that's yes. not what Klein does. He withheld information all throughout his tenure with the Beatles. And, and we have the, Oh my God! And we have a judge's verdict to verify all of that. So this, why we're even debating this is beyond me. It's very frustrating to me. This is not about making John out to be a bad person or to say like, well, John is just irrational to not like the Eastmans. I'm not saying that. He could have had good reason to not like the Eastmans for number one, they hate Klein and he's on Klein's side now. And also John doesn't like the look of them. He went on in like excessive detail about he, how he doesn't like how they dress. He doesn't like their manner. He thinks they're snobby. He has various prejudices against all kinds of bizarre things like Jews changing their names or people living mm -hmm. on the Upper East Side or, you know, whatever, or people yeah. collecting art or like whatever his bizarre list of claims are that who knows if they're even his or if they're fed to him by Alan Klein. Yeah. So, but on top of all of that ridiculous nonsense, there's also the fact that the Eastmans hate John. So he has a yeah. right to not like them. That's not like, stop trying to change the conversation. We know what happened in the lawsuit. I don't care if Klein proposed a good deal that may have worked out well for the Beatles. If they had done it, you're talking about a hypothetical situation. So another another thing I wanted to circle back to and add about how the <laughs> Eastmans initially came in way too hot in their advocacy for Paul, like how they wanted Paul to get 
power to count counteract the mm-hmm. John George Ringo voting bloc, which is something that even Klein afterwards characterized as something that Paul was surprised by and hadn't wanted or requested. But in the Eastman's defense, not that they're pure and perfect, but to look at things from their perspective for a moment, I think that they are probably a coming into a situation that from their perspective is already completely hostile to their client. Mm-hmm. The Eastman's are coming in and they're like, oh, this is an adversarial situation already. Yeah. So they're matching that energy, I think. If the opposing counsel is renowned as a street hustler or a junkyard dog or whatever the fuck they call him. <laughs> yeah. They've got to go in hard. That's the yeah. only, like, how many times have we heard, like, that's the only way that Klein plays ball is he goes in hot and hard. Of course. They're going to come in meek and mild. Yeah, even if even if Lee Eastman were naturally inclined to be that way, which he wasn't. Yeah. That would be that would not be the correct move. And B, I'm, I'm pretty sure from everything we know that at least Lee Eastman is assuming at this point, not knowing Paul very well yet, that Paul is just some flaky, business ignorant artist musician. So that's oh. another reason why I think they might be just like, well, we there's no reason why we shouldn't come in hot and hard. I don't think the Eastmans think Klein is a shady crook because they hate him personally. I think they hate him because they know he's a shady crook. And you can certainly make a case that Klein and the Eastmans were similarly partisan and ruthless and obnoxious as lawyers and managers tend to be. However, they should not be criminals. So the fact remains that unlike Klein, the Eastmans are actually genuinely loyal to their clients and don't try to screw them and also are not going to end up in prison for fraud that's correct yes and also the manager of the fucking beatles should not be partisan against paul mccarthy why do we have to keep explaining that i think you can fairly make the case that the klein situation you know at least post 1975 has lacked some nuance we don't have to redeem like it doesn't have to make klein a better person than we think he is yeah to say that other people involved made mistakes well i agree with you on that and the the one reason i could see to do it is like if you're gonna do that research and the purpose of doing that is to help us understand why john and by extension george and ringo acted the way that they did that's valuable. I want to know that. Do you know what I mean? Like, if mm-hmm. they're conned, tell me how he conned them. That's fine. Sure. But, like, yeah. if we're going in a direction where, like, Paul's actually the one at fault, that is untrue. That is objectively false. <laughs> Stop and do not pass go. This is not an attack on a podcast series that I did not listen to because I don't know that they're arguing that Paul is at fault in the breakup. I'm not saying they're doing that. I'm just saying. Let's not do that. (laughs) Yes. And that we have to be mindful that Paul was right in this instance. So as long as we keep that in perspective, I'm all about getting as much details as we can. And again, you know, explaining why john would have believed klein and why he would have felt that he was in the right mm-hmm. if yeah. he really trusted alan klein 
show me why he thought that well yeah and i really like your point that i absolutely support john george and ringo for not wanting the eastmans as their manager of course and but the thing is that no one forced they didn't want him and so no one forced them on them so it's a non-issue it's a non-starter it it wasn't even on the right. table just justice was served <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think of an analogy for that it's like saying okay the, the four beetles are going to go on vacation and they're all voting on where to go and john george and ringo want to go to canada and paul's like okay but i have an outstanding warrant in canada so i can't go there because it's a, <laughs> that country is hostile to me right now mm -hmm. well what's your vote paul i vote bermuda and they're like oh you would vote bermuda you love it there you have three girlfriends in bermuda what a surprise that you want to go to bermuda <laughs> it's them saying well we're going to canada anyway fuck you and people going well paul voted for bermuda like yeah but paul's like well i'm just gonna go to vacation in bermuda now so you guys have fun in canada how's it fair that the other beals go to bermuda well they didn't they're in canada right, right now what are you talking exactly. about yes paul just said that's fine i just am not going to canada so let's split up the vacation fund and then you guys can do whatever you want right but right. let's dissolve that bank account because we're not you we're not going on vacation anymore why do we have it let's close it split it four ways and then you guys be free we'll all be free yeah so yeah that's what we think about that mm -hmm. thank you anon honestly thank you for giving me the opportunity to go off because uh yep it's true i get a little heated about it but it just drives me bananas yeah well and like you say it's it's concerning if this is the beginning of a trend that is concerning uh, anonymous asked hi how how were you first introduced to skywriting by word of mouth and was it by me crying with laughter emoji um respectfully i don't know who you are tumblr user um i got my copy of skywriting by word of mouth when i was like 14 so that was before the internet <clears throat> so unless you were the bookseller who sold it to me then it was not by you <laughs> if you were then thank you and hello yeah, right exactly <laughs> like i remember 14 year old phoebe <laughs> i'd know that voice anywhere <laughs> Anonymous asked, I loved the Tumblr Q&A. It was so much fun to hear the two of you get stuck into so many interesting topics. I'm pleased to hear you offer an alternative and more nuanced point of view to Paul's assertion that he and John didn't say I love you to each other because they were northern men. As you say, there is evidence to suggest that at least on a few occasions, these magic words were said <laughs> to one another. Two more examples to add to the ones you gave. One of the versions of Wings, Call Me Back Again, he sings... You know I love you, baby. Yes, he does. And I Aww. believe and I believe John must have known this, at least some of the time. Because John does say I love you twice and get back, even if it's coded. And it's hard to imagine someone so insecure saying this if they had zero belief that the other person reciprocated their feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice point. I would argue that the same point of view is true for the ask about love without sex slash sex without love. 
and John's quote to Sandra Sheeby about being held. And if he had had that pre-Yoko, it could have been satisfied, i.e. his relationship with Paul lacked this. But in his demo for real life, the one that gets repeatedly taken down on YouTube, <laughs> yeah, right. he sings, Was it only yesterday I used to hold you in my arms? Which has to be about Paul, especially with the lines about the farm and more babies on the way. Hmm. I know, yeah, yeah, that's mm. a, oh, God, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. I know you caution against songs being taken literally, but I can't see another way of interpreting this. Perhaps, like Paul's regrets, John didn't feel that there was enough of this holding to assure him of their mutual love. So whilst Paul downplayed the I love you's, John chose to obliterate anything that his past relationships gave him in order to make sure that his present relationship could mm. be his savior. Mm. Like Daphne lamented, these contradictory possibilities <laughs> make my brain hurt. Your yeah. ass made my brain hurt anew, Anon, in a good way. Yeah, that's a lot. Great it points is. all around. Yeah. Um... Okay, so let's start at the top. I'm sure they said I love you to each other a few times, but yeah. probably they were drunk. Maybe the yeah. lights were out. Maybe, <laughs> you know, like Paul even said at one point, he's like, we never looked each other directly in the eye and said, I love you, which to me sounds like, yeah, maybe the lights <sighs> were out. Maybe, you know, yes, they were there very were drunk, mm, you know. Um, Did I ever take you in my arms, look you in the eye? Yeah, of course Paul didn't. He's hiding his face. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's staring down at his guitar and singing, I love you, not the guy in front of me, but another guy named John who's not real. There, I'm just there was a boy named Paul who loved the boy named John, <laughs> <laughs> but couldn't say it to his face. La -da 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 -da. Seriously, I, I really don't think that there's any doubt that these two loved each other and that they knew that and that it was communicated in some way or another to each other but then john then comes out and writes how do you sleep and that's what goes down in history so nobody can possibly believe that he loved paul after that so yeah things happened like a lot of shit went down that made them not trust each other and not believe yeah. each other and also paul has to find a semi-normal way to convey that <laughs> without sounding like a giant weirdo or feeling super yeah. vulnerable so yeah he's gonna you know he his version sounds like two dudes who were best friends you know who wanted to say i love you man but they were too embarrassed and so, so like, they just punched each other in the shoulder instead exactly so like, like men do his version is relatable understandable it's not going to make anybody uncomfortable mm. um including mm. him you know <laughs> so, so right and if that's where he has to leave it that's fine yeah. but is there more to it than that of course there's more to it than that yeah anonymous asked hi love the podcast I was thinking about how Paul said to Howard Stern he knew John wasn't gay or bi because he never saw anything weird in his behavior, even <laughs> though they... Sl I don't think he actually used the word weird, but he, he might. I would not. He might have, yeah. <laughs> he might have. Okay. 
even though they, John and Paul, slept in the same bed and got drunk together constantly. I've always thought this was kind of a weird thing to say because, one, he basically says he isn't gay because he isn't gay for me, which is kind of funny. And two, there is so much evidence that about John being attracted to men. What do you think is going on here? Is he not well informed about different kinds of sexuality? Is it internalized homophobia? Does he know John John was gay or bi but wants to respect his boundaries? Does he want to avoid the topic because he's scared people will think he's gay and question him about it because of the sleeping in the same bed comments? Or is it something to do with Yoko? I have asked myself all of these questions. Yeah. I'm there with you, Anon. I think all of your proposed explanations could be true. Yeah, that was a, a beautifully constructed list of all of the reasonable possible interpretations of this. Yes. Let's say Paul knows. Mm. If he were to issue anything except a, no, I don't think so, I never saw anything, then he is saying John had feelings that he was ashamed of and never acted on. And never told anyone about, but let me tell you what I think, even though I, I think it's true Paul probably never saw anything, even though he did see John having sex more than is normal <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> your typical platonic friendship. Um, but John did have a lot of sex where Paul wasn't present exactly. and watching. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and Paul is aware of this fact, so... Yeah, I think it's just not something he's comfortable saying. Well, I definitely think the I never saw anything is just a way of saying I never saw anything, Your Honor. Yes. Although Hans Icky Braun, mm, mm -hmm. a fan slash friend of the Beatles from Hamburg, wrote a book in what, 2018, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he says John kissed him twice yeah. <laughs> on two separate occasions in like a very surprisingly gentle kind of way <laughs> not in a joking way <laughs> like oh. gently took his hand and kissed him on the lips and the first time was definitely in front of paul like icky was in the middle of a conversation with paul yeah when john cut in <laughs> to kiss icky so yeah you know paul definitely knows okay so you you gently solemnly kiss a man you think is gay twice okay so you're flirting with a gay man that is what you are doing paul saw that so he you know he definitely knows something's up now how he interprets or rationalizes it is another conversation but my point is that yeah paul's not in the dark yeah yeah and paul has reported john saying to him well i might fuck a man if i ever found one attractive enough which apparent, which Paul says he interpreted as clear evidence that John definitely did not like men at all. Okay, Paul. Well, I don't know that that was his interpretation. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say, but um, I think he's saying like, look, John covered his bases and he said, you know, I might if I would. And the fact that he didn't means he must not have, right? I guess and to be clear i don't think i don't think john said that to paul i think he was quoted as saying that in like the 60s ah. well i've always wondered about that yeah <laughs> it's like hey paul just <laughs> fyi <laughs> i 
just want you to know that I'm GTF, a man. I mean, just a man, any man, really. Theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> hypothetical. A hypothetical hot man might get into my pants someday. I mean, if, if they were really, really beautiful and looked like Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> big eyes and a little bow tie mouth and <laughs> excellent jawline and i mean oh, somebody like that theoretically maybe. just you know just file yeah. that away in case you need to know one of the things about that quote from paul though that just makes me i don't even know is that paul says that and then he's like so yeah i mean john was that open about it it's like paul what do you he was that open about being straight <laughs> what or are you saying he was that open about the fact that maybe he might go by one day but that's the opposite of what you're saying oh, yeah i don't Lord. i don't know what to do with paul on this topic i really don't bless his cotton socks well here's the thing about paul though is like he like he is dumb but he also plays dumb yep so that's, much and that's the problem he plays stupid like as yeah. a profession yeah like he only shows us what he wants us to see exactly yeah what paul actually thinks what he wants to think and what he wants us to think he thinks could potentially be three separate things i think we've talked about this before the whole like he isn't gay because he isn't gay for me thing I will say, I, I think it's reasonable to interpret that as Paul saying, well, every gay gentleman must want a piece of this because uh -huh. look at me. So I'm not attacking anybody who interprets it that way. I think that's a fair, inter you know, like he set himself up for that interpretation. He exactly. If he doesn't, if that's not what he meant, then he shouldn't have said it. That exactly. Way, so. Exactly. So find another him. way to say it, Paul. But roast him. I mean, my interpretation is like, listen listen i was married to him i would know like don't i get first dibs you know what i mean and yeah. then the other possibility that i've thought is like i think it's super possible that john told paul he wasn't gay mm -hmm. i mean there are a million scenarios where he could have said that you know it doesn't have to be a defensive thing it could have been an intimate thing there's any number of scenarios that you can invent that could be said under. Yeah. And none of them are anything that Paul's going to want to talk about. Correct. I kind of believe that Paul believes that, that John was not gay. And to me, it seems very plausible that these two stupid repressed people came up with some sort of scenario mm. where they rationalized <laughs> that they were not gay because whatever they felt for each other was special and nobody could understand it and it went beyond whatever yeah intricate. that makes as much sense to me as anything else or john told him that he was attracted to men but that he didn't like that about himself and he was trying oh. not to be that way and it made him hate himself 40 years later i wouldn't be telling people that about my dead friend who never came out well yeah that's true he does seem defensive on john's behalf i guess our question is like why yeah well when it first came up in the 80s it would have tarnished john's reputation 
Oh, yeah. It was a big controversy. Yeah. And since he went on record then, I can see him being like, well, why don't we just stick to that? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think he could, hypothetically, I think Paul McCartney in 2023 could say, um, yes, John was attracted to men, but it was something that he wasn't really comfortable with. He didn't, you know, he wasn't sure exactly how he felt or how he fit in. So, uh, you know, out of respect to him, I haven't said anything about it. And, you know, it's not a matter of lying. It's just a yeah. matter of re respecting his privacy. And, and I and don't whatever. care to speculate in public. Exactly. I think he could say that and get off scot-free. I don't think anybody well, would take up the task on that. He could say a lot of things. But he might not believe that. I mean, that yeah. might not be the case. Like, he might have yeah. a different perspective on it. The thing is that nobody has really tried to engage in a respectful discussion to where he's not put on the defensive. Yeah. And maybe that's, you know, maybe he has arranged it to be that way. But if you look at the cultural and political landscape over the past, let's say, 40 years or however, it's like 45 years almost since John died. Mm -hmm. It has only been within the last five to 10 years at most, at absolute most, that any of that kind of revolution would get a positive response. Like, Correct. Yep. More of a positive response than a negative response. Yes. And Things, I don't even yes. know if that's true now. Mm. In the Beatle fandom. Yeah. There's still lots of people who, that would not go over well. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, maybe he's just taken the path of least resistance. Yeah, well, he, he definitely has taken the love wins route, you know? Mm -hmm. So maybe that's just why he's, he strays away from sex stuff and he just focuses on love. He's definitely not shy about talking how much they loved each other. Yeah, and slept together a lot. Yeah, not yeah. shy about that at all. Yeah, well, and you know... There might also be a part of him that knew that John was interested in him that way, but not because he John was attracted to men, just because Paul was so special. Oh, like there's a little ego involved as well. Maybe. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of, you know. Or if not ego, there's a little bit of pride about their special. Yes, yes. Yeah. He loved He loved me for me. The question, is he just not very informed on different kinds of sexuality? I think that was probably very true up until possibly recently. Yeah, for sure. Like, when when was the last time he insisted John wasn't attracted to men? I think it's been a while. I mean, he did tell Joe Hagen that John wasn't gay. That's true, in 2015. Also, I think saying John was gay could imply to paul from paul's perspective john was a liar was a liar and his life a was a lie mm -hmm. yeah so that might be what paul's reacting to he might be saying like no 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 no. yeah let's not do this yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna catch this snowball before it starts rolling <laughs> yeah yeah and he doesn't also doesn't want to be the one who is responsible well. for it right i mean yoko took that on not that it's she gotten did. any traction 
So yeah, she might factor into it as well. But the funny thing is that, not funny, haha, but like the curious thing is that Yoko is the one who Who has the most to lose, quote unquote. Yes, and she's the one saying like, well, not only was John into men, but he was into Paul. Mm -hmm. And Paul's the one going like, no, 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 no. So what I'm saying is like, whatever their motives are about that, they're not as obvious as one would assume. Like they're not as self-serving as one would assume. Yes. Yeah. Great point. So I think great it's point. I th- I I you know I think it's more complicated than Paul's scared that he's going to be gay by association or whatever. Mm-hmm. Reading the lyrics book, especially like I do think, I think Paul has grown and has well, maybe maybe made some realizations about himself or just about you know the world yeah definitely agree um which is why i think if the right person asked him about these issues in a more hospitable way Mm -hmm. the answer might be a little different and now a public service announcement all right we have used the word gay regarding john because that is the word that yoko used and how it's been phrased to Paul in questions about John's sexuality. Yeah. To be clear, we at ACOM do not think that John was <laughs> exclusively attracted to men or that his many relationships with women were fictional or cover-ups. End of PSA. Anonymous asked, Since you mentioned it on one of your most recent podcasts, what is an acid trip like? Whenever I get descriptions like, I saw God, I feel shortchanged, like people who have taken it have deliberately decided not to explain their experience. Could you share a bit on what it's like? Peace sign. Oh. Well, I can't. I'm going to turn, turn the floor over to Phoebe. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, don't do drugs. Um, yes. So is my, microdosing is legal in parts of California? Is that true? uh i don't know i don't know if it's legal or if it's just trendy (laughs) so i can't speak to whether or not anybody should do it please don't ever break the law for any reason everyone okay having said that i've had strong acid trips and very light acid trips they're very different at least in my experience all of this obviously is from my experience can't speak for everybody the light ones were kind of more of what you think that they probably were like there were colors and you know you kind of see like trees breathing and shit like that Mm -hmm. um just as just pleasant (laughs) but not scary no if you're on real low dose acid it's very just like an enhanced reality kind of and then I've had like real fucking super strong acid. Um, I've, not, I've never really had to put this into words. It's also been a while, but I do remember a feeling of interconnectedness, mm-hmm. similar to what people usually describe. Um, yeah. You feel part of a system. But it's it's positive. It's not yeah. it's not like you feel part of the matrix or something. Um although I guess if you're on a bad trip, maybe you could start feeling like that. Sure. Um, 
but for me it was and it wasn't like a like a warm feeling either it wasn't like oh i want to give everyone a big hug because we're all brothers and sisters it was just kind of like you're just kind of a thought floating in the universe type of thing like that Mm -hmm. like outside your body that's they kind of mean like you you kind of just sort of feel like you are your consciousness instead of a meat bag you know Uh yeah um okay so i know how to relate this to the beatles (laughs) okay oh great um you know how like paul's describing the acid trip where he and john are just saying like just looking at each other going i I know i know it's not like being stoned where you have like these great ideas and you know you're like oh Mm -hmm. shit i Mm -hmm. thought about whatever you know Mm -hmm. kind of an overwhelming thing where you're just kind of like flattened by the experience and the vastness of everything you know Uh Uh you're not having at least for me and this is on we're talking about having a heavy trip yeah you're not really formulating brilliant thoughts you know you're just Uh kind of experiencing reality in a different way yeah 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 them going like yeah i know like that makes total sense to me yeah if somebody's on the same trip with you then you can feel confident that they're in the same sphere as you are and like yeah that's what's wild to me well, let's say, yeah, you're sort of communicating not with your not with your meat bags, you know. Right, right. Uh, but with your consciousnesses. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. That's wild. And you don't really need to talk to do that. It's kind of strange. That's cool. Anonymous asked, let me start off by saying how much I love listening to your podcast. Thank you. Now, my question, do you think Paul secretly buying up shares of Northern Songs was a little payback for John's trip to Spain with Brian, resulting in the song credit being Lennon-McCartney? Thanks. If I, if I were to assign, you know, an ulterior motivation, I would say it's about something more recent. Here's the thing about the shares and i'm not going to go off on a whole tangent i'm really not <laughs> not going to get on a soapbox about the shares although we all know that it is one of my least favorite topics <laughs> yes it has the potential to put me in a tailspin but i will just say this um i disagree with characterizing paul's purchase of them as secret since these are public stocks bought publicly yes uh and therefore not secret (laughs) at all but i I understand your point which is that he didn't contact john first to let him know that he was buying shares the shares issue that's it in a nutshell yes paul believed he had the right to spend his money his own money on his own shares and john believed that he and paul had tacitly agreed to always keep the same amount of shares. Mm-hmm. That's it, really. It's up to yeah. you whose side you're going to pick on that. I mean, you mm-hmm. you know, either you agree with Paul or you agree with John. And that's all there is to it. Paul is factually and legally correct. Right. But John believes it was a personal emotional violation. So 
I mean, you can't litigate a personal affront. A court is not going to weigh in on whether or not John has the right to be mad at Paul, right? Yes, yes. He just is. He just is. So either you're on John's side, you're, you're right, John, you should be mad, or you're on Paul's side, and you're like, well, what? What's the big deal? Yeah. yeah. Having said all of that, is Paul above being passive aggressive of course right. not of course, of course not. not yeah yeah would he have been within his right mind to feel a little insecure about his partnership with john by 1969 yeah. yes yes yeah, he definitely would have i mean john's already made overtures about leaving the band and has you know declared yoko his new partner so uh-huh. i mean how stable you think the partnership is is also a matter of debate so yes totally you know it's a lot of you know there's a lot of variables i don't really think it has anything to do with brian yeah that's just me i agree all right anonymous asks after listening to the latest episodes i really would love a series that talks about why were john and paul so intertwined with each other we always talk about the breakup and the obvious painful end of their relationship but i think there's not enough focus on why they were the best of friends and soulmates you have to deeply love and be involved with your bestie if it literally haunts you in your 30s lol (laughs) lol (laughs) (laughs) it truly would be amazing if you did something like that love the podcast cheers xoxo oh well thank you xoxo to you too anon yeah that sounds like a delightful series it definitely does and i agree with you we are very focused on the breakup yeah Um, really it's because that's where the most work needed to be done yeah and where the most controversy is yeah so um that's been our focus but you're a thousand percent right it would be fantastic both as a listening experience and as a podcast making experience to yeah focus on the early years and the nice stuff yeah yeah that an early days series is definitely like in our list of potentials for the future yes it has been for quite a while um yeah we just need to shore up a couple of things first we are in the midst of uh working on and or finalizing um the biggest series we've ever done so we can't even really think about another series right now but you know what like as long as we have the time and we enjoy doing it which we still enjoy doing it together we do <laughs> we do so phoebe's the best guys you don't oh, even know Debbie. it's true so that we're not worried about we're going to continue to love doing it together but yeah as long as we have time and we still want to talk about the beatles it'll keep going so yes, an early day series is very much possible. Oh dear lord! Okay, this is a this is a big one. This oh this... yeah. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Anonymous asked, "I hope you don't mind the impertinence of a twofer ask, but seeing that they are both about the always intriguing, never predictable dynamics between Paul and Yoko, which by default also involves John." I thought I would stuff both questions into one post for your Tumblr or podcast Q&A. So one <laughs> ask takes place in 1966, the other in 2013. Ask number one, 
the Paul and Yoko hooked up in 66 rumor. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> what? You don't ask much, Anon. Okay. <laughs> I've heard this mentioned a few times. I believe it came from Christopher Sanford's biography. Mm, no. Of course, it could be untrue. <laughs> although I'm not surprised by any Beatles-related hookups, especially if oh. they involve Paul. Spot oh, on. true. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He could not surprise me. Yeah. Um, my question is, if this were true, do you think this would have been a problem for Joe? oh geez i can't decide whether this would fall into the category of things that are kind of weird but john is cool with like for example the mark lewison story of john and paul mm. having sex in the same bed with their respective side pieces or into the category of things that other people wouldn't really find weird but john is definitely not cool with such as george harrison's anecdote about john walking in on paul in bed with a girl and attacking a wardrobe mm. with a pair of scissors and cutting up her clothes I just can't help thinking it would go into the latter box, especially with John's duplex levels of jealousy. Nice turn of phrase there, Anon. He didn't want Paul going after his girl, but it seems like he doesn't want the girls going after his Paul. I'm intrigued, I have to say, about the boat called Paul and the boat called Yoko dropping anchors together and John being totally laid back and non-reactive. All right, oh, so let's, let's do this let's, one first. Let's stop there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Anon. Oh, oh dear. I don't know. So first of all, thank you for a remarkably written <laughs> yes. question. Yes. Well done. I like that you extended the metaphor into like dropping anchors together, yeah, which is great. an amazing euphemism. <laughs> Bumping holes. <laughs> Battening the hatches, raising the sails, <laughs> launching the life rafts. <laughs> I'm not saying that I think it's true, but I'm not saying I couldn't see it. I agree. Um, not only because Paul is a hoe bag, right? But I could also honestly see it not really changing <laughs> changing yes! the story. Now, yeah. to me, it, it makes more sense that Yoko wanted to and Paul didn't want to. And she took umbrage at that because she does kind of seem to have a bit of a... a like she wants, well, it's almost like she wants to prove to Paul that she's sexy. I, mm. I I don't have anything. <laughs> Please, you know, if you want to take me to task on that, that's fair because I don't really have anything specific <laughs> to back this up. No, vibes only. Vibes only, sure. But for, I mean, for what it's worth, the tarot card reader, I believe, said that Yoko spun this whole yarn to him about how oh, she, yes. she thinks Paul was in love with her. And still though, is. Still is in 1979 or 80 or whatever. And the whole reason that he married Linda was because he couldn't have yeah. Yoko and he was so broken up about it. And Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, wasn't Mick Jagger also in love with her? Yes. Now, one explanation for that could be that Yoko was horny for the tarot card reader and she just wanted to impress uh, upon oh. him how, how desirable she was. Yes, yeah. I never and thought then, of that, so that's a good point. Yeah. Or he could be lying or exaggerating. Yeah, that's that's another possibility too. Or Paul has been in love with Yoko this entire time. <laughs> yeah, or you know? they or they or they hooked up and he and he gave her champagne and roses. 
in the evening, as has been said, and she took that to be he actually cared. And the, the thing is, I can see it happening, and I can also see Paul and Yoko just not, it just really not impacting their opinions or their actions regarding each other. Well, in the in the grander scheme of things, it kind of means nothing. You know, like if it, right. it just, totally. it was just one evening that happened like a year and a half before she hooked up with John or something, that sure. would be one thing. But it would also, it would be a little bit of a backstory to why Paul was like, mm-hmm. oh, this groupie is hanging around again. Or Yes. And like or his insistence on bringing up, you know what? Yoko came to my house first. Well, sure compulsively at every opportunity yeah exactly like i'm not going to tell you that i'm not going to tell you the significance <laughs> yes of that. yes but, but uh, i'm going to dangle it every chance i get as far yeah. as john's reaction if it were true and he knew i mean my old school way of thinking would be like no there's no way john's super jealous and possessive of yoko it wouldn't whatever whatever but yeah considering like how much overlap there are with girlfriends and stuff like that Mm-hmm. I I don't know that he would really care and not to be gross or whatever but I almost think he would see that as a way that he's closer to Paul I don't think he's I don't think that's a turn off yeah yeah well and I again vibes only I don't think John or Yoko would have been completely opposed to yes a little something something yeah i agree with that too on one hand john could be jealous of paul's part anything that moved yes but at the same time he obviously had to tolerate hundreds of people sleeping with paul all the time so he it's something he lived with right with seeming equanimity for the most part well i mean mean, what's he gonna do did he have moments of jealousy about it i definitely think so but like was he always he couldn't have there's no way to sustain that much jealousy because he's true paul's sleeping with somebody every day what yeah so so basically i have no idea i mean i could believe it but i don't necessarily believe it but they were you know there's also a rumor that john slept with linda yeah before paul and linda got married and again that would not be shocking i think it's possible sure you know i don't again don't necessarily believe it but it i mean it's not unbelievable not at all and again it plays into their weird borderline problematic incestuous (laughs) like if you guys just fucked it would be a lot simpler (laughs) than all this complicated like shenanigans oh yeah well i'm gonna fuck your girlfriend and like guys could you just not (laughs) could you stop ruining people's lives i'm just i'm gonna play my sex tape for you at work you couldn't hear us through the walls i better move our bed (laughs) next to your wall so you can hear us when we crash at your place no reason (laughs) because there are no hotels in london (laughs) or houses to rent for privacy oh wow they are such a problem they're just so transparently a problem too anytime i hear people try to like rationalize well that's you know come on man come on look objectively at the nonsense the nonsense from 68 forward where they just like 
they can't even control their nonsense anymore yes like, yeah they, you know they did a really good job of masking it for many years and then suddenly they were just like yeah we can't even hide this from the public anymore yeah <laughs> we can't stop this we yeah control this is going to end up either one of us hurting the other one or yes. the law is going to have to get involved and it was the latter thank god yeah yeah and then a year later they're talking on the phone for hours at a time and a few years after that john's thinking about writing napoleon can you imagine can you imagine going through all of that with someone and then being like we should do that again <laughs> <laughs> the level of like bononkers love or whatever oh my god love or whatever you must stuff for the person wow linda was in new orleans like i cannot live through this again i wonder about that a lot because linda genuinely does not seem to hold a grudge against john I maybe she's just that good of a person or paul is that good of a lawyer on john's <laughs> behalf yeah right no but you have to understand linda oh my god yeah well and not yeah. for nothing but like john probably takes up less space in their life if they're getting along than if they're not yeah. getting along that's true that's true yeah she might have she might have uh felt differently at first she's like well eventually he's gonna get over this breakup you know and we can be normal and then years went on she's like oh no i guess maybe it would be less <laughs> effort for them to be yeah scared. maybe it's just easier for them to have their insane dysfunctional whatever it is just don't yeah. fight it just don't fight it so ask number two yoko has a beef with paul in 2013 <laughs> my second question is about the anecdote shared in jan wenner's new autobiography like a rolling stone in the section where Jan recounts a friendly lunch with Paul in 2013 to discuss his new album, he goes on to say, When I told Yoko about my visit with Paul, she said something to the effect that I had fallen under his spell. She was a hard-ass about it and had her reasons, but I didn't want to be party to it anymore. So when Nan asks, Yoko seems really bent out of shape? Not in a Machiavellian way, like she's the one with the upper hand in the situation. More <laughs> like she genuinely thinks Paul is deceitful slash shady? That's my reading of it, at least. So in your candid opinion, why would she <laughs> supposed to... Don't argue? bullshit us. No. <laughs> Give us your real opinion. Your candid opinion, why would she have such a problem with Paul dot 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 in 2013? I can imagine <laughs> the two of them having a little widows at war thing that just simmers away in the background. But this seems like something else. Side note, the whole anecdote and Wenner's lack of self-awareness about his partisan unprofessionalism is batshit crazy, in my opinion. Your thoughts are always appreciated. Smiley face, heart. Hmm. So we did cover this topic in the second episode of our series, Strange Bedfellows. Yes, this, this ask predates that series. And I know that um, this particular listener has has listened to the series for anyone who has not listened to strange bedfellows we recommend it highly joe hagan gave his candid opinion his yeah. very candid opinion on that i believe joe's opinion was to paraphrase is that <laughs> winner just saw the you know the wind shifting and so he just shifted his alliance yeah through yoko under the bus 
mm-hmm. basically winter is a snake yeah but that as wasn't really what, your question yeah as to whether yoko really is that invested still in this battle with paul from everything that i've seen i think yes yeah in 2013 well anyway. into in 2013 yeah yeah that is 10 years ago it is that is true my take honestly is i i think paul and yoko really are important people in each other's lives i mean i i think that paul downplays it sometimes mm. like especially if he's being bitchy he's just like yeah whatever i don't even yoko know yoko. i don't I even think about no her mind. Yeah, or some if he's being yes. nicer, then he's like, "Oh, it's fine." She's like a, you know, she's like a relative, meaning like I'm not thinking about her all the time, which is fair. I don't think that he is thinking about her all the time. I really don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying in the grand scheme of his life, like she's kind of important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or at least you know her influence is important. Yes, that's what I mean. Like, like the role that she's played in his life and his career, and the way he has so far been remembered in print yeah. and history, yeah, has been very significant. So, the idea that she doesn't take up a lot of space in his head, to me, yeah. is pretty crazy. She has had an outsized impact on how he's perceived by the public, yeah. and yeah, vice versa. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think not so much that paul has had a huge impact on how yoko's perceived but yoko's role in the beatles breakup has obviously dominated how she's perceived in the public yes which isn't paul's fault but paul's definitely wrapped up in that yeah four more really i would recommend strange bedfellows so we get very very deep into all these yeah we get into it yeah yeah next enjoying your strange bedfellow series and wanted to ask if you found reference to any kind of musical dialogue between paul and yoko in all these years thanks that Hmm. is such a great question um i actually i remember receiving that ask like right before the last episode and i thought about it a lot actually um my answer is no not really yeah other than whatever music that i picked (laughs) that i included um and i didn't think there were any like direct right references in any of those but they just sort of i just picked whatever i thought kind of felt like it suited the mood or or what have you suited the atmosphere Mm -hmm. um i don't think so and i mean i could see them reacting in music especially paul because that's what he does yeah yeah. but i don't think it would have been a direct like he's expecting yoko to pick up on it except for maybe flaming pie oh yeah that's yeah exactly that's probably the best example yeah i would be interested if any of our listeners have any ideas about these i'd love to hear yeah other people's thoughts anonymous asked interesting episode i think you give yoko a little too much credit when it comes to sensitivity to paul yes many of the incidents happened decades ago but when yoko is now defending paul from people who say he is not a real artist when she was the one who helped create that narrative that is not sensitivity it's pr 
The wheel is always turning, and just as she was sensitive to John's martyr status, she is sensitive to Paul's increasing reputation. Just my opinion. I mean, I think that's a fair interpretation. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. I think this ask is in reference to Strange Bedfellows number four, final episode of the series. Um, It's possible. I mean, I have been told this, that I give Yuko too much credit um, <laughs> for many, many years throughout my Beatle fandom um, by several people. So you're not the first person to tell me that. But um, I don't know. I I think it could be both. You know, I think it could be PR and it also could be human emotion. Sure. Yeah, I think yeah, they I could happen at the same time. They can coexist. Yeah, definitely. I, I would say the wheels are always turning in both Yoko and Paul's minds. They're both very active brain people. Yes. Um, and John, for that matter, too, you know. Mm-hmm. But again, also, the all three of them are real people, too. So, Exactly. Why assume bad faith? Maybe that's it. If, if that's your opinion, Anon, I, I respect it. Yeah, I do, too. Maybe sometimes we give the benefit of the doubt when we shouldn't and vice versa. You know, we don't when we should. Yeah, we're, we're probably, probably not right all the time. <laughs> Going yeah. out on a limb there. Anonymous asked, episode four of Strange Bedfellows, thoughts? Phoebe's assertion that overexposure was bad for Yoko's art in the long run is a solid pathway to more empathy for Yoko. Mm -hmm. I constantly repeat the Sarah Marshall from You're Wrong About edict that fame is abuse while listening to people talk about the Beatles. It's too bad that Yoko's historically been a tricky interview subject via Joe Hagen as I'd like to know what choices she'd have made with hindsight. Fascinating contemplating what Stella and rest of Paul's family think of John, but are too PR savvy to ever say. I wonder if Paul comes off kind of weird about John in interviews because <laughs> it's his only chance to talk about how much he loved him. He mm -hmm. might not have an audience for that topic in his private life, whereas his love for Linda and George and everyone else he's lost can be shared authentically within his inner circle interesting wow that's a that's yeah that's something to think about i was about to say i hope we can talk about it in his real life but on the other hand i understand if his kids don't want to hear it i mean i'll be honest like especially uh reading the mccartney legacy just sort of reviewing everything that happened between 69 and 71 i don't know it just drove home again to me I wouldn't like John if if I was Paul's kid. I mean, I would resent him. Yeah. He has left an indelible mark on Paul. I'm sure it's awkward for them because they are pro Beatles and they're, you know, pro Sean and Yonko. Yeah. And and it's possible that uh, I'm projecting and I don't know what I'm talking about. So that's, Well, sure. Uh, you know. Yeah, it could be. We could be totally, totally off base. Yeah, uh, but trying to put myself in the position of like his kid yes. or whatever, I would think the mm -hmm. same thing. I would be like, "Why does oh whatever, whatever?" That's someone he loved. So, yeah, dad loves him. So yeah, I guess that that is what that's it is. that. Yep, yeah. exactly. 
Anonymous asked, hey, Acom, love the pod and found your Paul Yoko series very compelling. Thank you. In case you haven't seen it, there's a good long interview with Lauren Stuber that has a tiny but very interesting question about Paul's feelings about Yoko in the late 70s. It's around the one hour 45 mark and a listener provides a link. No pressure, but looking forward to new episodes at some point. Yes, you will get those soon, <laughs> we promise. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> no pressure. But... We are also looking forward to some new episodes. Yes, we very we're working hard. We're like Santa's elves right now. We are working oh my our God. butts off. We really are. Yeah. We really are. Trust us. Yeah. Thank you so much for this link, listener. I really enjoyed this interview. I actually listened to the entire thing. It's on the lovely Andrew Dixon's YouTube channel. We'll provide a link in the notes for anyone who wants to watch it. It's really good. But um, the part about Yoko is fantastic. Here, I'll just play it. There was the tension between Paul and Yoko at the time, do you think? Oh, yeah. I think there was. I Yeah, I, I think that, that Paul still had... Um, it's some negative feelings there. I think over the years they seem to have reconciled, but but at the time, and of course, this was before John's passing too. So, you know, it was. But he just didn't talk about Beatles very much. He's, but, he's you know, once he, in a while, might might have been you know where we played a venue that the Beatles had played or something. He might make mention of. Yeah. Oh, here it comes. You said, so you, you said that um, Paul did talk about John's relationship with Yoko. There you go. Yep. Thank you. And what kind of thing did he? Well, I remember distinctly okay. that, you know, like if, if they'd be at a restaurant and, and you know, Yoko would be making decisions about what John would eat, you know. And, yeah. Um, and Paul just felt, you know, I think Paul felt that she was just kind of bossing him around too much. <laughs> that's the only thing that became, I remember from, from but you know there was I mean there was always business stuff going on wow how fucking hilarious is that that is so rich and so <laughs> just amazing just amazing I love the idea of Paul either being unself-aware <laughs> yeah. or, or very self-aware <laughs> that's true i mean yes that could be coming from a place of either one and they're both kind of adorable john lennon doesn't need to be bossed around (laughs) without you know without a trace of irony or he's like you're not doing it right yoko i tend to think that it's unaware unawareness because remember he said to joe hagen like she was very dominating, which was kind of weird. It's like, is it Paul? Was it weird? <laughs> <laughs> Were you really shocked? Okay. Mm. We know that Paul is aware of that aspect of their relationship because we have him on record saying, mm, John actually quite enjoyed me bossing him around. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think he was going to replace you with? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's if so- he doesn't have you, Paul, he still <laughs> needs that itch scratched and he's like don't scratch him that way you're petting him the wrong way it's totally you're rubbing his fur the wrong way (laughs) absolutely (laughs) john prefers his ketchup on the side thank you very much (laughs) we're goofing here but also maybe not 
<laughs> entirely. On the other hand, you know what? Like maybe, maybe there is a deeper. Do you know what I mean? Like, hmm. if he's not entirely sold that she is doing it for the right reasons, I don't know. I don't know. Or he sees that John has lost twenty five pounds since he saw him hmm. last, and and is not happy about that. Yeah, that's true. And is like, yeah, I, th- you know what, Yoko, I think, I think John can have some butter on his asparagus. Yeah. Well, you know, if I saw any friend in this situation, it would be <sighs> for sure a little concerning. Like It'd if I'm if I met up with a girlfriend whose husband was like ordering for her and telling her what not to eat, I'd be like, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if she was like, you know, rail thin. I'd be like, what is happening here? Yeah. I don't, I don't like it. I don't know what it is, but I don't like it. Yeah. So that, you know, that is another consideration. Yeah, that it's not just Paul being proprietary and yeah. possessive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and thinking that he's the best boss. <laughs> <laughs> but Lauren Stewart did say that he just, that Paul thought she was bossing him around too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's the most striking part to me, though, okay, is that apparently both John and Paul came away from these dinner or dinners complaining about each other's <gasps> marriages. Right? Oh, you're right. Oh, they need to get it together. Both of them went home like, I <laughs> what kind of wife she, is she? She kept touching his knee under the table. Ew. What's wrong with them? What's wrong with you guys? Yeah. That's the right? question. <laughs> to to yes. refer back to the previously mentioned nonsense. Mm-hmm. Stop showing your nonsense all the time. Honestly, it's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's totally true. It's like how is has it been 10 years now, guys? Yeah. And you're still complaining about the other's wife. My God, let it go. Honestly. Or do something about it. Mm. (sighs) I wonder if John still looked at Linda the way that he looked at her when she was taking his photos in 1969. With a death glare? Yeah. Yeah, it was like the scary, scary death glare. (laughs) Who knows, Yoko? <laughs> uh, all over Tumblr, people were calling him Chandler Bing for that. It's like, right on. So true. And then he immediately, the immediate pivot, the immediate recognition. Of he like, hears it. <laughs> oh, that, uh, I mean, I'm normal. <laughs> Who knows, Yoko? <laughs> supposed to be yeah yeah i've been there maybe not everyone has been there i'm so glad that that interviewer circled back to that yes he's just sort of dropped that (laughs) immediately i was like um care to elaborate um hold on yes that's the most interesting thing you said thank god for her i want to point out that this is a panel of literally nine people oh my goodness there are eight men in this group and the and one woman our hero yes yes <laughs> who, all hail who who 
brought him back and was like, excuse me, I have a follow-up question. <laughs> Edie Fiegel. Yeah. Thank you, Edie Fiegel. Hope I'm saying yeah. your name correctly, Adam. Not all heroes wear capes. That's right. All right, so that was fun. Oh, it was so was nice to fun. take the pressure off. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yes, we, thank you for writing in. Again, we we really do appreciate your feedback. We still have great questions that haven't made it on the air yet. Again, it's 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 not you, it's us. We we want to do a good balance of heavy and, and light. Yeah, we want to be brutal and tender, like John Winston Lennon. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for that series. Ooh, Daphne, we need to get all of our swearing out now. We do. Yeah, this is going to be a profanity-free series. If you can believe it. Oh, geez, Louise. None of the signature ACOM dick and <laughs> vagina jokes. <laughs> Sorry. Or you're so welcome. We hope everybody is having a good summer. There's so much fun stuff going on. Yeah. Right now, Paul's exhibit yeah. in London. London seems to be the place for Beatle it's people happening. this summer. It is. <laughs> it's swinging over at the National Portrait Gallery, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Paul's been swinging it all over the place. <laughs> As usual. Yeah, and you know, I've noticed um, Julian Lennon's been brought in more into the fold lately. Yeah, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that is Sean's doing, but it, it's nice to see him with the family more mm -hmm. yeah hanging out with uncle paul it's funny he tweeted like on my way to see my uncle and everybody just assumed it was paul <laughs> yeah right I, you know part of me was like well is this uncle elton or uncle paul because he just said going right. to london but no it was uncle paul yeah. i guess there's one uncle yeah, and he gave Paula, was it HBDUP, which took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to figure out what that meant. Oh, Daphne's slow. Well, she had COVID, I so... I did. It does it slow down long your enough. brain. Sure does. Yeah. The last mm -hmm. thing I need, but... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for putting up with me. I do what I and can. And my brain such a good streamer and a dreamer and a creamer gross nah, gross, gross. <laughs> get away <laughs> get it out now